Blank check with Griffin and David. Blank check with Griffin and David. Don't know what to say or to expect. All you need to know is that the name of the show is Blank Check. In many ways, the work of a critic is easy. We risk very little yet enjoy a position over those who offer up their work and their selves to our judgment. We thrive on negative criticism, which is fun to write and to read. But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. But there are times when a critic truly risks something, and that is in the discovery and the defense of the new. The world is often unkind to new talent, new creations. But the new needs friends. Last night, I experienced something new, an extraordinary podcast from a singularly unexpected source. To say that both the podcast and its podcaster have challenged my preconceptions about fine podcasting is a gross understatement. They have rocked me to my core. In the past, I have made no secret of my disdain for producer Ben's famous motto, anyone can podcast. But I realize only now do I truly understand what he meant. Not everyone can become a great podcaster, but a great podcaster can come from anywhere. It's difficult to imagine more humble origins than those of the genius now podcasting at Audio Boom, who is, in this <laughs> critic's opinion, nothing less than the finest podcaster in France. You talking about me? David Sims. <laughs> <laughs> hey, thanks. Of course. I caught up on my emails during that. Yeah. Well, I yeah. was, we were uh, both rushing and late. Uh, yeah. We're rushing to start now. Right. Because we're starting late. So I thought I'd give everyone a little time to settle in. Yeah. Yeah. We're settled by in. By writing a, a like reading Ditter, a four page slowly. A lot, lot of email catching up too. Oh, no, no. You're, oh, yeah, wait, you're wait on. Wait a second. Huh? Did you just introduce a guest before they spoke on mic? Not introducing anyone. Just talking. Jeez Louise. My name is Griffin Newman. I'm David Sims. It's a blank check with Griffin and David. It's a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their career are given a series of blank checks to make whatever the crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes they clear and sometimes they bounce. Baby. Uh, yes, correct. Thank you. We're hashtag the two friends. Mm-hmm. Only two friends wants a podcast together. It's a competitive advantage. We're also connoisseurs of context. Uh, yes. But here's another thing we have in common. We are not only children. <laughs> Very, <laughs> yes, yes. Is that an attack on me, Griffin? Oh, I forgot you're an only child. Yeah. Yeah. I'm alone. Ben making it hard to <laughs> round out our trilogy of sibling choice episodes. That's fine. We're just doing this instead. Yeah. Ben's dad, not super into the idea of being on the podcast. Refuses to do it. Oh, I would love to listen to that. A flat out refusal. I would love to listen to that too. But we did. I don't know if I'd love to record it, but I'd love to listen to it. The more he hated it, the more I would like it. It would be Clifford. It would be the movie Clifford recorded on mic. No, he wouldn't be like polite, wouldn't he? He's like a nice, polite man, I'm sure. He's nice, but I would push his buttons. Oh, I see. You would enrage him. The goal would enrage him. Broden starts out. Fairly reasonable in Clifford. It's kind of a dick, though. I want to say. I want to say. Mason? <laughs> Here we go. All right. So, right now we're doing a miniseries on the films of Brad Bird. Yeah. And it's called The Podcastables. That's right. But in the past, as palate cleansers in between miniseries, we've done two sibling choice episodes. That's right. We brought. You brought your brother, Joey I Sims. Brought my sister, Ronald Newman, Newman. And we let them pick a movie to talk about. But both of them, when we threw to them and said, 
am I right to suggest this? Is there something else you want to talk about? Both of them threw out the same movie as one shared. their first, I mean, that was the first thing you said. Was it? Yes, 100%. And I projected onto Ram what movie I thought she'd want to talk about, and she said, yeah, either that or blank. Right. We're not going to talk about what the movie is. Never. No, no. And so we decided when we chose to do a miniseries on Brad Bird, this is the time to unite the siblings and bring them both back to talk about a movie that all four of us share. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're talking to we. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you we're rata talking. You said like, <laughs> did I not just say any Brad Bird? No, did you I said say Ratatouille, but I assume you guys don't want to do that. You know, you didn't, you got enough of the format of the show that you knew we might want to do yes. Brad Bird someday. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that was what you said, like, well, I'd rather do Ratatouille, but I know you right. guys don't want to do that. First movie that I'm usually thinking about at any time. <laughs> and I said, right. to, I said to Rom, am I right in thinking you'd want to do Devil Product? Wars Product? Because I'd answer that on an episode. Uh, Prejudging what yeah, I thought yeah, she'd yeah. want to talk about, and she said, "Yeah, either probably that or Pixar, like Ratatouille." I mean, this is this your your number one Pixar because the subject matter it is sure, sure. Um, chef, yeah, little chef, chef. little chef, little chef, being little, little being um, a chef. You are both. You are both. Yes, let's acknowledge it. It's kind of the one movie where people always ask me about. Sure, because you're a little chef. Because I'm a little chef. You so also hide under people's hats. <laughs> a lot. That's one of the lesser known facts about me, but it's a huge part of my life. And you weirdly never do it in the kitchen. That's an interesting thing, is you only hide under people's hats at like, uh, I don't know. Finish the bit. Salons. <laughs> People rarely wear hats at salons. Well, Usually their hair is being worked on Makes her job kind of difficult. <laughs> Honestly, that's why. That's um, the real sport of it. You know? Sure, yeah, just, yeah. Now, now Romley Newman, of course, uh, long time uh, uh, sister of mine. Uh, <laughs> nineteen years. Yeah, nineteen. You got to stay on that mic. You keep on put it put it in a position where you can turn and still have wow, the mic. He's in front bossing of you. around. Uh, here, I'll fix. Oh, producer Ben's gonna fix. I'm line. a novice. Producer Ben's gonna fix that. Ben producer's gonna it all fix that. Mike, Mister Positive, Mister Positive, the Poet Laureate, the Tiebreaker, the Fart Master, the meat Fart Master, the fucking meat lover, the Fuck Master, the. Fart detective. I love prosciutto. He loves prosciutto. Everything's wrong. Everything's wrong. Um, he, uh, you know, he's soaking with Benny. He's a white hot Benny. He's a birthday Benny. He's a dirt bike Benny. You wish him a hello fennel. Don't call him Bro, Professor I'm Crispy. I'm really excited to have you. I'm going to talk over him. Thank really you. Really excited to have you on and Joey, Joey of course. Titles. But we are both Kylo Ben uh, producer Frank food Nobody. lovers. So let's I'm get food lovers. And when are you a food and, lover? And, and when we filmed Devil Wears Prada, me. you were a fashion lover. So right. we he is constantly a have something to bond. Over. He was criticizing yeah. me for wearing brown shoes with black pants today. You can't do that. Definitely, you cannot do that. I know, but I was lazy when I left the house. Wait, but Ben, we all know that you're you're a, a fan of fashion, a close personal friend of Dan Lewis. Since when are you a, a food lover as well? Griffin, I've worked in really high-end restaurants over oh, the years. Oh, that's true. Don't talk about That's well, true. Hey, oh, yeah, ever since don't your days talking about the on this podcast, it's gotten yeah, a little problematic. Yeah, we're gonna bleep that out. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, a right. burger report, more like a police report. Okay, you know what I'm saying? okay. Let's, let's I, move along. <laughs> I will make a disclaimer and say this will probably be a very self-centered podcast. I might Ooh. lose a lot of fans. What? Because this movie resonates with my life so much. Resonates? That, that every... Resonates. Sorry. Resi- not resonates. Sure. Um, every part of it, I'm like, oh, well, when I was that... Okay. Okay. So you're going to... It's going to be a it, lot it of... It comes back to me. Well, look, that is the thing that no Newman has ever done on this podcast is use the yes. discussion of the movie to tell a bunch of anecdotes about childhood. Definitely not Griffin. Never. Griffin. Never. Absolutely Griffin. Never. 
so you are you are a chef. I am. Uh, and a food writer as well. Right. So Romilly, you live with this boy. I mean, you have in your I life, have, and yes. you know, you yeah. and you live with him. Like we all must live with him, right? Yeah, I'm a know, force to be reckoned sort of a with in this curse. world, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you like food. I love food. He doesn't really like food. I'm not crazy, and about it's. It. I feel like we would be a lot closer if uh, he likes food. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm always like, I love my brother Griffin. We're so similar. That's the aspect. We're really on the same yeah. page, but I wish he you'd eat food. a fucking egg. You know. Anything. Don't, I mean, don't even say his that word diet is, I just describe it as beige. <laughs> <laughs> his diet is literally vanilla. Did it sure. just get shady in here? It got sure. shady. Wow. Um, yeah. Every meal I make when he's around has to be modified because there's so many like things he thing. doesn't eat. Yeah, but the modified meals you make for me often get reviewed as some of the best work you've ever done. Is that not true? I go, hey, can you make no, a little mac and cheese at Thanksgiving? And then everyone eats the mac and cheese and goes, rum. Stellar, probably your best pasta dish ever. True? Well, people like mac and cheese. It's mac popular and cheese is a, is, a, is a crowd pleaser. Oh, so you're saying people like the foods that I like because the foods I like are so your food are your food's like Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. But sometimes Romilly wants to make, you know, a phantom thread. Oh, come on. <laughs> don't, don't high road me like that. <laughs> now, Joey, and we get all the siblings involved. Yeah, Joey Sam. You're not a chef. Uh, no. And you're not very little either. You're a pretty normal sized person. Average size. Yes. <laughs> You've never hit under a hat. <laughs> you know, I, mm, I don't know. Really? Yeah, maybe he's hitting under a hat or two. The the physics of that are are uh, you know difficult to pull off. You gotta be little, little. Uh, <laughs> little chef. Even if you're little. Uh, um, but no. so why did this movie speak to you? Now I remember seeing this movie with you. But I feel like you've always just loved this movie I didn't, more than but the first time I saw it wasn't with you, was it? Yep. Was it? I yep. have a memory of going to the view in a Swiss cottage okay. with my friends. Swiss cottage view. Oh, I'm, that must have been the that was second after. time that well, I saw I don't, it. I don't think, yeah. I think the first time, because I just remember very clearly that we saw this movie with our mother who hates, as she calls them, cartoons. Oh, uh, and Who is she? Detective Eddie Valiant? Exactly. A tune, yeah, Where a tune's uh, wronged her in the past. She hates tunes. At the Odeon Camden Town. Okay. This is all in London. What? Were you on vacation? Or? Yeah, what were, you, what were you doing in London? <laughs> Where is the sound effect going to go? Has it already happened? <laughs> yeah, is it still it's coming? already happened. This movie came out during the summer, so it was, what, it was a summer break? It, it came was... out in summer. Uh, right. Yeah, no, no, we lived there. Lived in London. In fact, I was almost not living in London. It's gonna happen right now. <laughs> I feel it. I feel it happening. It's dropping. Because right uh, this is this movie came out in 2007, correct? correct. This so is the tail end I, of your... I, I left London in 2008, so I was wow. almost done with London. Wow. Uh, Joey was almost off to college, but we saw this movie. I can't remember why, but my mother. Yeah, why did she go? I don't know. But when we were children, my mother did not like, as she called them, cartoons. Like sure. when we're we're talking about like the when I was a kid, like you had your. You're Beauty and the Beast, and you're Aladdin, and she was like not interested in you yeah. know even the sort of glorious renaissance of animation. So I don't know why she saw this movie, but she loved it. Interesting. Yeah. And I remember even at the time thinking like, wow, this movie is so impressive and artistic that it even won over like the biggest hater of animation that I know. I, I have a question for you. So you said this movie came out in 2007, 2008, you left London. April 2008. Yeah. Am I correct in remembering that after leading, leaving London, you immediately went to... Paris and worked at a I, bar. It's actually before, but yes, in I, that was in um, early 2008. So, do like you January think that decision mm. to do the sexiest thing it that is, anyone's ever true. done, which is work at a bar it. in Paris yes. for six months, right. 
Do it you wasn't six months? It was like four. one month. No, four months. <laughs> Wait a second. No, it was four months. It was well, January. Four months. Let's yeah. open the books here. This is why sibling episodes are great. Yeah, yeah it's true. No, it was January to April, and then, well, I don't. I'm not sure if I want to invoke his name, but uh, my friend, who you know, uh, we're not who I lived to... with. I just don't. I'm about to say something slightly embarrassing about him, so I'm not sure oh, I want okay, to mention okay, his name. It, okay, uh, who I live with in this one room apartment in okay. Paris, uh, just sat down with me one day and said, David. I have no money. <laughs> it's a shocking turn of events. This was Bernie Madoff. This was Bernie Madoff you were living with, I mean, right? Two thousand eight. Like I'm pretty sure that's exactly when the Bernie made. Well, exactly. maybe a few months later. Yeah, maybe it was a perfectly um, timed. And I was yeah. just like, well, yeah, of course you have no money. We've been living here for months, and right. you we have you have not had a job. And yeah. he's like. So it's kind of an issue how I have no money. So now we have to leave. And I was like, all right. And you were raking in those tips. <laughs> well, I mean, you he know, was I, supposed to teach English, right? He, Wasn't he, that, that was the idea. We went to Paris because someone idea. had told him like, it's easy. You speak English. They need English teachers. Yeah, You'll just totally get a job teaching English. Goes. Amazingly yeah. didn't happen. <laughs> what was your after service cocktail or our choice of drink? Wine. I mean like. Okay. And what kind of wine are we talking? Are you wine, a red like whatever guy, swill they had. Oh, just yes. swill. Um, no, all they drink is beer and wine. They're not really like a cocktail people. They're really the not. No, yeah, I don't no. know because I'm under 21. But sure. But not here. In, in France, you can drink. Actually, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So yeah, they, yes, they do why, not drink cocktails why, in Paris. Why do you I think that Ron goes to France twice a month? <laughs> She's such a boozer. She's a <laughs> she, wino. She weekends in Paris just so she can drink on the flight. But you know what? I didn't even put together the Ratatouille thing. I forgot about that. Yeah. Like that I I'm I saying I'm Paris. I'm genuinely questioning. Do you think that movie cuz it was like mm. I remember I mean I love Paris. It's a I lovely remember place. this came out the exact same summer as Paris Je Tem, a oh, sure. very hit miss film as most omnibus films are. Indeed. Like a, a four very strong segments. Yeah, it's got some cute. Have you seen Paris Je Tem? No. no. Yeah, no. Is that it's a not, movie that anyone remembers? It's not a must see. There are in a YouTube age you should just watch the four segments right. that there's, are good. There's a couple of the little movies that the are, are one's The Collins really one's really good. Awesome. The Alexander Payne one is great. Yeah. Yes. The Alan Hughes one. Is there an Alan Hughes one? Am I making that up? Maybe. I always like the Wes Craven one. Do you remember that yes, one? Yes. That's I do. a nice little rom com. Yeah, it's cute. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's a Romley comedy. Um, but, uh, are those the two? Was there a third Paris movie? There's maybe, uh, uh, oh, no, no, I was well, just cause there's say, 20 movies. Cause there's one right. for each arrondissement. My, my point was that that came out earlier in the summer and then yeah. Ratatouille came out. And I remember several yeah. critics saying Ratatouille somehow makes Paris look better than any of the 20 filmmakers in Paris. Je well, because Ratatouille isn't really set in Paris. Right. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, also it's, it's a wonderful is. fantasy of Paris. It also yeah. totally drawn. feels like Paris. Like, like in this way, my, my mom and I saw Coco together. Coco. Which I think, uh, uh, Coco. Uh, ben didn't like that for some yeah. reason. Uh, Coco. <laughs> uh, which I think is now her favorite. Pixar movie. Oh, I, wow. I, I, you know, the timing is unfortunate because if you asked me before I saw Coco, I mean, Ratatouille would be a shoe in for oh, number you're one. Saying Coco's a challenger? I think. Ron saw Coco twice in theaters, which my she never cold, does. My cold little heart mm. never cries. Yeah. And, and, and Coco, yeah. I was sobbing. I was crying. Griffin was sitting next to me. Spontaneously. It was, I was crying so much that I was choking on my own crying. And, um, yeah. and, there are very serious cinematic masterpieces that have not even made me well up. Sure. And Coco yeah. absolutely killed me. And I went home and I listened to Remember Me on a loop. And then I saw it again like three days later. Store. And I thought, I said to my friend, I was like, there's no way I'm going to cry again. Here's. Wow. Yep. Time two. My, well, a stranger checked in on me at Coco. I saw Coco alone. <laughs> yeah. And I cried. 
and like a stranger next to me afterwards was like, are you okay? Uh, I'll, I'll say the thing that was astonishing was we were sitting there together and we're, we're watching the whole movie and Romney's like, this is fun. Why aren't people giving this more credit? But you're not like emotionally on or tender sure, hooks about it. it. It's a hammer blow at the right, end. With right. And movie. then the moment where you realize what sure. they're about to do. Yeah. Right, right. Where literally the character like tunes up to destroy your heart. Romley just turned to me and her eyes were full and it was like, Oh no, oh God, what's about to happen? Like it was like the look someone gives you right before the roller coaster has the drop. Sure. Like the tears like, were already there and then just didn't stop for like There was 20 no minutes. going yeah. back at that yeah. point. I was right. like, I am a ruined human being. Right. Yeah. I have yeah. lost all sense of self, but I cried through the credits. Yeah. Coco Even- more Legomo. Yeah. Good movie. Um, but Ratatouille is still very close to <laughs> ben, ben just dramatically took off his head. Uh, ben just quit. He has handed in his two weeks notice to Audioboom. He's asking if he can get out sooner than that. He is genuinely red in the face. Um, I was going to say, I saw Coco with my mom. My mom grew up in Paris, but spent a lot of time in Mexico City as well. And she was like, it's crazy how well they got Mexico City down. And she was talking about the land of the dead. Uh-huh. And I feel like in the same way that like the land of the dead and Coco captures Mexico City, even though it's not really Mexico City, right. Ratatouille does that with Paris, where it's not very literal, but it somehow like captures mm-hmm. the spirit. I, it, it captures the way Paris feels. I was going to say, I feel like nothing really looks like Paris. Right. But you'll have moments when you're in Paris where there's just a ton of lights and there's just this atmosphere or you're eating or something's going on and you just have this overwhelming feeling inside of yeah. you. And that's how Ratatouille looks. It's also a movie that like literally glows. Yes. Like it looks like a candle. A lovely blue and gold sort of yeah. glow to it's it. Very it's a warm. lovely palette. My heart kind of stops when you get to the apartment and it's so shitty and then he goes on the windowsill and you yeah. just see the beautiful God. Paris landscape and you're like, okay. Okay. Well, what's your objection, Ben? No, your mom is so cool. Your mom's much You're, cooler like, than us. A reveal that your mom spent some time in Mexico City. Yeah. What? Look, there's we a, have to have your mom on the we'll show. Have her on. Let's I, see that. I have no idea what Holly movie she'll pick. We'll have Holly Hunter. On. Yeah, his mother looks a lot like Holly Hunter. Cool. I mean, we should also mother. have Holly Hunter. on. Yeah, that's true. We should have both of them on. When we were when we were young, she got a free carpet because the the carpet <laughs> dealer thought she was Holly Hunter. She would Hunter. literally get free shit because people knew Holly Hunter lived in New York. They're the exact same size, and people would be like, uh, "Miss Hunter, right this way." Wow. And she was like, "I'm not Holly Hunter," and they're like, "Okay, we, we got it, Miss yeah, Hunter. Yeah, don't of worry." Of course, of course. Of course. Just don't worry. Right. Because usually the ruse would fall apart when, when she, she handed speed. over the credit card. No, right. no it just, what, even when no. she spoke, they'd be like, "I guess she sounds kind of different." I guess maybe the she the has twang. such a distinct voice. Oh my god, everyone just blew out the mic. The first time I saw a Holly Hunter movie, I was like, holy shit. Because I always just assumed they sounded the same. And I was like, oh, she does not have that voice. I mean, no one has Holly Hunter's voice. That is one Uh, of her... uh, Mrs. Incredible. uh, Elastigirl kind of has Holly Hunter's voice, I would say. Greatest joke of all time. Thank you very much. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. (laughs) All right, so Ratatouille. Before we get into the incubation of this movie, which I think is interesting. It is interesting. Just because you talked about your experience seeing it together. Yes. Ram and I saw it together. It was right before I went off to college, so it was one of our, not like our very last. Right, but we're in that, both in that zone, right. yeah, yeah. And that summer, I thought I was going off to college in uh, uh, California to CalArts, Bradford's oh, alma mater. Yeah, that's right. I we thought I was going to move to L.A. and stay there for a very long time, so I was oh. really trying to put in quality Big Brother time. Sure. That and summer, how old would Romilly have been? You would have been uh, eight? Nine, Is 2007? that correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, you would have been eight years old. 
Um, you were very much activated on the food thing at that point already. Yes. And I raised you pretty heavily on Pixar. That was like our syllabus. Yeah, I mean, this was kind of, even before I saw my dream movie, besides the fact that I absolutely despise rodents. Sure. Uh, so I think I had a few hesitations going in, but the Paris and the food element kind of... Uh, won you over. Won that but over. I'll say this, and correct me if I'm wrong here, and maybe I'm just speaking for myself. We saw this, I remember they did, because Disney was very afraid this movie was going to bomb. Yeah. And they did a lot of very, like, kind of desperate, sweaty marketing moves to try to, like, mm. sell the movie that they thought the American public was just going to roundly reject. Sure. Right. So they did, like, those advanced screenings, those, like, public, like, two right. weeks before it comes out, it's playing at an AMC for one night. Right. So we went to one of those, and oh, I remember okay. both of us walking out and going, like, it's good. It's not one of the best Pixar. Oh, wow. That. And it oh, really grew for both of us. Because oh, both okay. of us, I think, saw it a second time that summer. And we're like, that's actually pretty great. And then by the time I get on home video, and it's a movie for me that gets better every single time I watch it. And for me, it's a movie that gets better as I get older. Yeah. yeah. Well, Even I agree with that. Rewatching it for this, I was just like, they nail the food stuff. Yeah. I mean, I would really say this is one of if not the best food movies in existence. It's my I favorite agree. food movie. They yeah. set up like the, the dynamics of the kitchen, mm. like technique. It's exactly. really, and really well the executed. The way that they, the tiniest things I think are so spot on. Right. My favorite moment is when he finds the mushroom and then he's running around trying to find all the accompaniments. Yeah. Because that's exactly how a chef thinks of cooking. And talking about flavor profiles exactly. and how and it's like you're like building levels of flavor. You I, have right. the woodiness of the mushroom, and then you need some some herbs, and then you need some acidity, and then you need a you know to char it. I mean, it's incredible. I, I think this movie was like an activator for you in the way that Devil Wears Prada was. Not that you didn't have these interests before, but it made you think about them in a real, more tangible way. You know, because a lot of your cooking up until this point, you would cook a lot. Like that's what you would do. When you got picked up from school, you would go to the grocery store and you'd buy stuff and you'd put it all together and you'd serve it to us and it was usually bad. Yes. Like you at first would just make bad food. It was bad for a very long time. And then course correct by going like, oh, I guess that didn't work. Like she's sure. just pick ingredients that sounded good separately. My, right, right. Our mom wouldn't let me watch the Disney Channel. Right. Which is what all my friends watched. Yeah. And at first I was really mad and I thought she was depriving me of a childhood. <laughs> but the Food Network was one channel away from the Disney Channel. So I would watch the Food Network all day, and then when she was out of the room, switch, switch it quickly over, during commercial break. So was break. that literally Classic why move. you started watching the Food Network? Because you could get away sneaking some Zach and Cody? I think it was a mixture of <laughs> things. You did sneak that Zach and Wizards Cody. Wizards of Wave? Zach and Cody were my first true love. You were never them. a Wizards of Waverly person, right? Um, I wasn't picky, honestly. I thought they, Disney, they live in the village. Right. I thought Disney was so cool <laughs> because sure. it was so forbidden. Yeah. All my friends were like, yeah, whatever. And that I was right. like, and oh my God, my, did yeah, you yeah. see yeah. that episode where blah, blah. So I wasn't picky with the Disney shows. I watched it all. I didn't discriminate. But <laughs> uh, I watched the Food Network originally because I loved to eat. And I found it so cool that people could just spend their lives cooking on TV. Sure. But it was also convenient placement. Uh, two things I want to say. One, a brief correction. You said that Zach and Cody were your first loves. That's not true. You loved one of them. You thought one of them was a fucking nerd and you dunked on him all the time. <laughs> That's true. I just can't remember which one. I forget. always well, mix there's them the up. The one is now uh, Riverdale. It's, I think the Riverdale uh, Jughead. He is legitimately one of the worst actors on wow. television. Wow. wow. Do you watch Riverdale? I, wow. I've seen every episode. I actually haven't seen every episode. I stopped watching it, but I I will. People I hate watch. Him. I hate watch Riverdale. Do you watch People Riverdale, Joey? That performance. I couldn't TV. get into it, but I, I thought like he was. I liked what he was. It. I liked what he was doing and what I yeah. saw. I wouldn't say that it was like good. He's the one acting. who's like, I'm a weirdo, right? 
Yeah. But, but was Jughead he, Jones. Was he the one that you liked originally or you can't remember? I can't remember. They honestly looked. Oh, and then you met one. I one met of the, one. one of right. Griffin sent me a picture with one of them. And I think yeah. I went to school the next day. And I just literally walked around with a printed picture of Griffin <laughs> And, and whatever unnamed Sprouse. Sprouse. I, I Wait, went to still, like which one? I, well, that's. I think it was the one you didn't like. <laughs> on, I think yeah. you were just crying out loud. I can never remember which names are. No, you were because one of them you were fucking dunking on constantly. You say he's a one was a loser, one was a loser, and one right. was cool. You and liked a, the cool one. rebel, right? But I, I will say, growing up, Griffin constantly wanted to do things that would make him the cool big brother. When I was at summer camp, I still don't even know how he. Uh, he got this, but mm-hmm. he sent me sides from the high school three, high school musical three movie. script. Sure, right, and yeah. uh, that was a big deal. Yeah, I literally just walked around and said, "Do you want to read a scene from High School Musical 3? <laughs> this was like a year away at this point. So, uh, right. so he he got a lot of Big Brother points. Cool move. In hindsight, I was really obnoxious. Not true. But, <laughs> not true. But I got some cool stuff out of it. So Cole is Jughead, and I think Dylan is the one who has gotten in some trouble. Uh, recently. My guess is that Dylan's the one you liked originally. I think so too. I think Dylan was a little more of the bad boy. And yeah, maybe, I, was, I was into I the bad boy what, at, at oh, six yeah. years old. Uh, and then by the time you were 12, you were into Ed Helms. Right. Rumley, <laughs> Rumley once walked in when we were watching The Office and said, he's kind of hunky, right? <laughs> and we said, what? She might have even been younger than 12. She might have been like 10. You were like, I don't know, he just seems like a nice like a nice husband. Yeah, my, sure. my, my I mean, type quickly <laughs> my type quickly went from Dylan Sprouse to husband. Yeah. Right. Who right. could pay for kitchen renovations? Right. Oh, no. <laughs> Who has a nice sweater collection? Yeah, just a you know, really dependable might, like, guy. Wear a bow tie right. to work. Yeah. Right. Steve Martin and it's complicated <laughs> becomes the platonic <laughs> idea. You, my, 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 he's very cute in that. My dream he's guy is, is Greg Kinnear. Right, come here. The one who every rom com is structured around how he sucks. You know, he he's always the guy who you don't want. Legitimately, my <laughs> dream guy. <laughs> the other one you used to love—not that you don't love him anymore, but he, he hasn't uh, worked as much. But when you were like ten, Hugh Grant was. Oh, he just dude. Oof, tore me up. And you haven't seen Paddington Two yet. I have not. He's so good in Paddington too. But he's so good at being so bad. Oh yeah, of course I've seen Paddington too. Yeah, yeah. 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 He's incredible. The the closing number, the post credits number is like genuinely like. He does a musical number in Paddington too. I'm gonna go see Paddington two right after this. That's what I yell at all of my gay and theater friends about Paddington two. It's like it ends with a musical, a Sondheim musical number led by Hugh Grant. Like (laughs) see it, and they. But the more I tell them to see it, the more they. It also trolling you. Uh, makes me want to see Paul King do a full musical because clearly yeah. he's got it in Totes. his bloodstream. Totes. Um, he used to do such good musical numbers on The Mighty Boosh as well. Anyway. Ding dong. Ding dong. Ding hey, dong. you want to open that door? Master Frodo. Uh, Hello. Master Frodo. Are you the Sam guy from Lord of the Rings? Yeah, I think we've met before. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you've... You've interrupted us before. Okay, I couldn't remember if that was a future episode of this one. Yeah, who, who can even keep track at this point? Yeah, well, how can we help you? Oh, Master Frodo's gone missing. I, I have this ring. I have to get it all the way to Mount Doom, and I don't know how to transfer this ring over to Mount Doom. Well, I mean, unfortunately, and this is a personal grievance, but like those eagles aren't going to help you until you're all the way up there. That's the problem. They're always such a, an eagle ex machina. But, <laughs> eagle ex machina, but... I know of another way for you to do it. What? You can use WeTransfer. WeTransfer? It makes the creative process easier for everyone. And I think that you getting that ring up Mount Doom is going to 
be a creative triumph and might win you a bunch of Oscars. That, that would be great, but I mean... Well, personally, you actually won't win an Oscar, but you know, whatever. Well, surely I must get nominated for supporting actor. Nah, it's such a showcase there might be a bit of a grievance. Yeah. But you know, think about his this journey ahead of him. Yeah. so complicated. You're whereas right. Whereas with retransfer, it's such an easy site to use. Oh, like right. I they don't like, have sign-ins or yeah. offer codes or passwords. Oh, that's yep. been bogging us down for so long. All I feel passwords. like I, I could skip at least two towers by, by just transferring through you the You could service. simply just upload, send, and then get back to doing what you love to do, which is, I guess, hanging out in the Shire and yeah. eating a Second bunch of food. Second breakfast. Yeah, like a yeah, lot a of lot meals. Of, yeah. Yeah. Pork, right. Porking out. Porking out, yeah. Well, 40 million people use WeTransfer to send and receive files every month. Mm. And since day one, they've devoted 30% of their ad space to showcasing creative people from around Middle Earth. Oh, like uh, uh, Bilbo, his blog. He has a blog now? There and back again, a Hobbit's blog. Oh boy, I should check that out. It's, well, I guess blogging is back. It's mostly vacation photos. It gets weirdly <laughs> political. <laughs> well, in the spirit of the great work that they do, we're going to skip the rest of the 60 second ad. We're going to get right back into the podcast. I wish they'd done that at the ending of Return of the King. <laughs> You're you know telling me, buddy. WeTransfer.com. Yeah. Okay. You make WeTransfer. Okay, so can I talk about the the incubation? Yeah, because I find it fascinating. Jan Pinkava, or however you say his name, yes. John Jan. Yes, Jan John. I I thought it was I th- Jan I Pinkova. Think, Pinkova. I think it's Jan Pinkova. Okay, fair enough. He directed Jerry's Game, yes. which was the first time that Pixar put a short before one of their movies before right. a Bug's Life. It's which, the, the the chess one, right? With correct, the old man. Jerry's that, Game. That one is incredible. That blew my mind. Won the Oscar. Great short. Got what? everyone on board with the idea of seeing a short before a Pixar talkie. There, there's a, a real sophistication to that thing, too, you know? Like, especially when you consider that most shorts you would have seen before an animated movie were, like, a, a three-minute, like, bit of, like, cat dog chasing a ball, you know? Sure. Like, they throw that before the Rugrats and be like, here's just a shorter version of that cartoon show you watch. Right. And that's, like, an, an old man in a dual role. I think the idea of telling a story that, like... Uh, sophisticated sophisticated and, and sort of dark because he's right. very lonely guy without dialogue like, w- without dialogue in that short amount yeah. of time was I mean it was new to me but it's I think it's still I haven't seen it recently but I'm sure it's, it would still it still mind. holds up and it's also very interesting character design I mean especially at that point like CGI was always kind of just like very round and Smooth shiny figures right. right and he's a weird kind right. of like he's got like folds in his skin right yeah. so he's got this interesting visual style everyone was super charmed by Jerry's game with this kind of erudite air to it uh, this air of sophistication and Pixar decides hey we're gonna let you make a feature. Sure. At this point... He won an Oscar also. He won the Oscar. Yes. Uh, the three original Pixar guys, once they started making content, Sling and Tent, were Lassiter, Unkrich, and Doctor. What and about they, Stanton? Oh, and sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah, not sorry, Unkrich. Not Unkrich. Yeah, Unkrich yeah. was their editor, but yeah, he wasn't he was, one of the directors. Was a little sorry. Low. Yeah. I misspoke. It was Doctor, Stanton, right. and Lassiter. They brought on Brad Bird because they were afraid they were going to get cocky, so they need to throw some fresh blood in there. Right, but their first movies are, well, you got Toy Story, yeah. Bugs Life, Toy Story 2 are all Lasseter. Right. And then you've got Monsters, Inc. is Doctor, and Finding Nemo is... Um, Stanton. Stanton. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and then Incredibles is Bird. So right. each, the first six movies are only yeah. oh, made by right. those three guys. And Cars is guys. in there somewhere. Um, is that after The Incredibles? After cars the comes after thing. The Incredibles, yeah. right. and that's uh, Lasseter again. That one's about Cars? Uh, I think so. I can't remember. Wow. Me or, but the uh, big thing is. <laughs> High five, Ben. No. <laughs> I sort of like. I sort of like the movie Cars. I sort we of don't like need to get into that. Okay. We'll get into that too. Uh, no, just, uh, <laughs> let's episode. not get into <laughs> it. Get, get deep. Bonus okay. episode. Uh-huh. Um, Have you bought Cars normally? 
What? Sorry. How do you feel about Cars? Uh, I loved it when I saw it. Okay. First well, one's fun. Yeah. First one's fun. Some people out there say it's my favorite movie of all time, and that's slander. Wow. It's a fun romp. Mater. <laughs> um, this is this is the interesting detail about this film. Okay. Yeah. One is that Young Pinkova was the first guy out of that original group who they were gonna let rise right. up to the ranks of director. And he had this concept, this idea of the, the rat wants to cook. Designed it all. He right. had all the characters. He had the visual. They're all his characters, right? Like 100%. Uh, uh, Linguini and yeah. uh, Gusto, And all the character designs and the models right. were all designed by him. Right. And he was unceremoniously pushed off the film, replaced by Brad Bird, who took over in sort of a last In 2005, which is really cutting it close. Now, the same thing uh, happened with, with Toy Story 2. Right. So this is, I want to do this crash course quickly. Oh boy. Okay. This is the problem with doing Brad Bird is he gets to talk about Pixar a lot. But all of this is. Im- well, but this is interesting. This if is you're going to go content. into the yeah. history of Pixar, like yeah. pushing people off projects, this is, right. this this is also, a lot to talk about. Yeah. Joey is more into the shit than I am. Yeah. So you guys. Because are- I think this movie is an interesting fulcrum point of Pixar's director problem that has led to their spotty track record today. It right. took about yes. 10 years to catch up with them. Right. But it's why things got kind of shaky. Lasseter makes Toy Story all hands on deck. Right. That's a one film distribution deal with Disney. Disney doesn't have creative input. They just deliver the movie. Disney markets it, releases it. Toy Story's humongous. So they sign a new deal with Pixar for five movies. Yeah. Disney will own those movies in right. their entirety. But Pixar can make them whatever they want. Yeah. But Disney will own those characters forever and can use them any way they want. Sure. So those films are... The ones that we just mentioned. Bugs Life, Toy Story 2, um, Nemo. Uh, Nemo, Monsters, Inc., and I guess Incredibles. Incredibles right. right. That's yep. the five. And Cars yep. is the last one, right? Uh-huh. So around the time, because these films take so long to get made, right. when they knew their deal was running up, they were working with Eisner, who they hated. Right. He Michael kept, Eisner, the old CEO of Disney. Right. He kept on threatening to make sequels without them, without their permission. Right. Because he wanted Toy Story 2 quick, direct to video. Yes, he wanted to do the- He didn't the, threaten. The, he was, they were doing it. Right. That you one was the, happening. Uh, the one where it's like Tinkerbell, Return to Neverland or whatever. Right. He right. wanted just one of those, right? Right yeah. after Toy Story 2, after Toy Story Return 1. Return of Jafar. Yes. Yeah. Right after Toy Story 1, when their crew was still small and everyone was working on A Bug's Life, yeah. they kind of had a B team or a C team sure. working on direct to video Toy Story 2. And after they watched A Bug's Life, finished A Bug's Life, watched Toy Story 2, which was supposed to come out in video in six months, yeah. Lester said, this sucks. If you give me a year, I can make this worthy of being released in theaters. Sure. And they pretty much started over from scratch. Right. Everyone says that movie gave them like fucking kidney stones. Right. Like right. no one slept for a year, but they made the greatest film of all time. <laughs> but after that, they just said to Eisner, we don't want to make sequels anymore. And the other part of the deal was if they made a sequel, it wouldn't count against their five. It would be Disney squeezing an extra movie out of them. So Eisner just went, I'll make fucking sequels without you and hired new people to write Finding Nemo 2, Monsters, Inc. 2, Toy Story 3. Romley's putting on a great looking sort of velvety coat. It looks phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I had forgotten this, this part that you're talking. Yeah, those were were all announced. All announced. So things are really tense. Yeah. Those movies are being done There's outside of There's a lot of, of brinksmanship between the two companies. Yeah. And Dis- Pixar's in a mode where they go, look, we don't want to re-up with Disney. Right. We're fucking Fuck done with this. So they start independently producing three movies. Okay. And this is one of them? Ratatouille, right. WALL-E, and Up. Sure. The three most sort of esoteric, right? Yeah, the other ones, and then of course, those are all the ones that Disney would then stress out about later and be like, oh, "How do we market like, these? Want to see this?" You because know. they just made them themselves. Right? They thought they were going to go to a different company. Eisner got pushed out. Iger takes over. Goes to Pixar. Goes, "I'm, I'm right. paying Steve, whatever it takes." And Steve yeah. Jobs makes the kind of like he like um, makes peace between the right. two companies in exchange for like 
owning he a became third the majority Disney shareholder of Disney. Right, yes, right. Yeah. Um, but so this is the first movie that Pixar made entirely independently. And then sure. it was sort of just dropped on Disney's lap. Right. And they pretty were like, hey, it's a, it's a rat. He cooks. Come on, release it. Jesus. I, I rewatched the movie uh, a month or two ago, and I'd always loved it, but I just don't think I ever really sat down and thought about the fact that it's about a movie. It's about a rat who hides in a chef's hat because he has dreams of being a French right. chef. Yeah, and no, it's and I, was, I went to Griffin, <laughs> and I was like, this movie is, is about a rat who pulls <laughs> yeah. a guy's pulls hair. Pulls his hair. Yeah, it's so, it's I mean, it, it blew my mind. I felt like I had been walking around with a blindfold on forever. And I was like, yep, this is great. And then I was like, holy shit, this is about a rat. And if you went to a studio and pitched this, they would have you arrested. Yeah, yes. they would execute I mean, it's on the right. verge of insanity. And no judge would convict them. Like, this is their, Pixar is a studio. This is their first big blank check movie where it was literally like, you know what? We have the right, money. We're going to make our movie. And yeah. we know Not our track record is strong enough. Someone will buy it. This is the epitome of a blank check. Yes. It is also, to use a word that we like to use on this podcast. It's a movie with a premise that is very sweaty. A hundred percent. Incredibly sweaty, especially the part where you pull the hair to control the body. Right. I mean, this- <laughs> Like this, a horse. Yeah, this premise is John Goodman on a Stairmaster, you know? Mm. It, it is dripping right. in sweat. It's Gandolfini eating a chicken parm. And yet this movie ends up like having like the lightness of like a Lubitsch touch. Where Agreed. you just buy Agreed. into Lubitsch all movie of is it, exactly what this which is. Which is yeah. insane. You cannot summarize this movie without sounding like a lunatic. This is true. It's also quite long for an animated movie. It's like it's an hour and fifty minutes, which, which is pretty long. The Pixar movies were usually tight ninety or so. Right, and the Iron Giant was ninety minutes long. And how long is the Incredibles? I forget. Incredibles like an hour forty. Yeah, yeah, I think. I mean, animation's so expensive that there was always a thing where like studios didn't want to make animated films that were longer than ninety minutes. Right. They were usually ninety with. And credits. also, you want to like squeeze in the, the show it's time. For kids, yeah. adults aren't going to see them. Keep the attention spans. But it's so it's very telling that Pixar was like, we don't have to care about anything now. We're paying the bills ourselves, so let's make a fucking two-hour Rat Chef movie. I also do feel like out of all the Pixar movies, this one to me seems the most like it's catered towards adults. Yes, and it ends on like a Proust reference. Exactly. Yeah, you know, it's 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 sophisticated. It's very yes. sophisticated, I, I think, and it's about a lot of grown-up people yes. and a rat, but I, you know, I, mostly like people who have a job uh, at a wh- kitchen. What were you gonna say, Joey? Well, I was just gonna say that. Just, Having said all the things we just said about yeah. it, right. obviously whatever uh, Jan was doing with it, yeah, which you know we'll never know, but whatever right. he was creating, they at a certain point were like, "This is just not I, working" because it's an incredibly difficult premise and yes. like and really hard to get right. I think yes. he was, um, and what you know, and he was a first time director, and he like wasn't yeah. he wasn't getting it. Wasn't, we don't know exactly. There's some struggle over like just he could not reconcile like the grossness of the rat in the kitchen. Apparently, like there was some that issue was a big where part like. Of it. There Everyone's brain would just shut off. They'd be like, no, the rat's in a kitchen. Right. But I will say, I, I hate rats really more than anything, yeah. but I never watch it and think, wow, it's gross that there are rats in the kitchen. And, well, oh. but that part of that is, and this is something that Brad Bird has said in interviews, yeah. is that when he came in and he saw the design that they had for the rats at that point, which right. I don't think we have seen, we don't know what that looked like, he was like, no, yeah. thr- throw right. that away. Right. So it right. must have been a lot grosser than what right. they ended up that with. I, I get a little grossed out when they're all in the kitchen. When you see them scurrying as like... <laughs> Just because the sight of many yes. rats is alarming. That is alarming. But right. there is that moment where they go in the dishwasher. Which is very cute. And it's so <laughs> and cute. And their fur is all fluffy. At that moment, I'm like, wow, I want a pet rat. Like, yeah. let you me know, get I a rat someone, sous chef. Exactly. <laughs> I know someone who has a pet rat. I don't get it. I don't either. She Instagrams videos of it, yeah. like eating cheese. And I'm always just like, yo, that's a rat. <laughs> like, <laughs> but uh, in this movie, yeah. 
is cute. They're cute. It is. <laughs> yeah. But I also think it's incredible that the movie doesn't feel like it's trying too hard to make them cute or shy away from them being rats. Like, it has them walk on fours for a majority of the movie. They move strangely. When they're in large packs, it does have that, like, weird, just sort of innate, uh, uh, unsettling. They don't wear, it's a swarm. They, they don't, don't wear, wear clothes, clothes right. which a lot right. of other animation studios probably would do. Right. That's like, true. For you, no reason. You right. compare it to like A Bug's Life where they make the ants blue and they yeah, have like they, two they, arms and two legs. They're very, very cartoony upright. and different. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it, this is a movie that's all about needles threaded perfectly. And there's also really that moment where he catches uh, the rat for the first time and he doesn't talk. He just yes, really acts like a, a rat. a choice I love. That it's language really they establish, good. yes, is uh, so good. Yeah. Um, but, but it is... Uh, but that's what I'm saying. It's like, this is a movie where it has to be plausible enough that he can't talk to the rat because the right. rat doesn't speak English, but implausible enough that the rat can control him by touching his hair. Right. And it just like, like you said, threading needles. Like that is a thin line to walk to like make that all believable. So by all accounts, what happened was November 2004... Incredibles comes out. It's right. a massive success, right? So, right he wins yeah. the Oscar. He does. And then very shortly thereafter, Lasseter comes to him. Lots of hug and bear himself, John Lasseter. <laughs> how, how could you have done this to us, John? Uh, he, that was just Griffin talking to That was to me John. just yeah. screaming at the skies. Uh, we we trusted you were the chosen one. Right. Okay. Well, Brad Bird was working on something else. He was working yes. on a script for a live action movie. 1906. 1906. Look he wanted to make nerd. a film about the great San Francisco earthquake. And for a moment that was happening and then right. it wasn't happening. And then so I think when Lasseter went to him, he was kind of just like sitting around because right. that project was stalled. That what was, is what is that project? Okay, so it's the story I mean, of, I know it's about, about the like San Francisco uh, like crumbling to ruins in 1906. And his pitch was, based on a nonfiction book, his pitch was, I want to do Titanic, except instead of a boat, it's an entire city. But, like, so who's it centered on? That it was, they it was never cent- crack it. But it was going to be centered on some kid who was, like, yes. figuring out that this was yes. about to happen, something right. like that. But I think they always said— It sounds said, like a frustrating movie, honestly. I don't know, yeah. They, I, they always said the reason, the number one reason it never got made is he never felt like they could totally crack the emotional center of the story. Yeah. But that was his pitch was, can I place an emotional like a, center? Like a city-sized disaster movie. It was yeah, going to be yeah. a $200 million film right. that Warner Brothers was going to co-produce with Pixar. Not right. with Disney. No, I remember be that. Pixar and it was going to be live action. action. Yeah. Yes. Which would have been huge. And that was his plan. Okay, resting a little bit after Incredibles, then I'm going to do that. And Lasseter comes to him and goes, look, Ratatouille's a fucking mess. Right. This is the first movie we're going to have in a distribution deal with whatever new company we sign with. I got this rap movie. We're too deep in it to scrap it. It is so crazy just to him being like, right. so there's this... You know about the rat movie? Yeah. You know, have you been on the third floor where the rat movie is? Because and the yeah. original title was "Rats!" Exclamation point. Was it really? Yes. No. Wait, really? truly, it was rats. Ratatouille is a genius. I mean, the, the way they did title. that is is but genius. Disney lost ben their minds over the it. title. Oh, just ben. the other day. Yeah, I didn't know. You yeah. texted us. We were like, I'm, "Oh, rat!" I, yeah. I just <laughs> thought of the dish. Right. No. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You know, that's where I go. But to. I, I wonder, was the dish in the movie? I wonder. I don't think so. You don't I think that was a Brad Bird move. But I think it's yeah. smart. What is yeah. Because just yeah. from, even from just a oh, yes. culinary level, Ratatouille is... That's, 
the beauty. We'll get to it. But that's the like fact a that really like, classic French right. dish. But the fact that the, he goes with something that simple exactly. is also. I mean, that's the beauty of the whole movie. Um, but There's they, no way that the Antonigo stuff was in it no. before. That's, or, that's like, red That's right. pure right. red bird. 100%. Yes. That is where this movie becomes fucking galaxy brain right. good. No, no we, <laughs> yeah. don't, we don't know that much about what was in the old draft, what was in the, the new old draft. The old draft was probably like the rats in the kitchen. He cooks right. the food. Hello, da, 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 you know. But right. also in the old draft, Gusteau was alive, right? I know that Brad Bird killed Gusteau. Yes. With his hands. Yeah, murdered him. <laughs> that was his first day on the job. He was yeah. like, bring me Gusteau. And they brought this cute, fat cartoon chef yeah. voiced oh, by Brad, Brad Garrett. Yes. <laughs> and he was like, Gusteau. Yes. Um, but, but they just say just to something him. something you could imagine Brad Bird doing. We need this film. It's supposed to come out next year. If we give you an extra year, do you think you can make this movie good with all the elements we're already stuck with? Right. Like they'd essentially build the sets, build the characters, right, had right. the basic plot line. Can you retrofit it? And he was like, I didn't want to do another movie so soon. But sure. Something... And he wanted to do live action. Yep. But I think Brad Bird, with that infinite chip on his shoulder, wanted to prove that he could pull it off. And saw something in the story yeah. of what he connects to about the idea of someone who is capable of greatness not being allowed to fulfill that greatness. The thing that is often mischaracterized, I believe, as objectivism. When I think right. it is... A, uh, a sort of cry for recognizing exceptionalism. Because in every Brad Bird movie, the character with the most power uses that power for good towards others, which is the opposite of what Ayn Rand preaches. Sure. I mean, I think this is his ultimate movie about the things we've already talked about, right. which is he is an exacting artist right. who thinks a lot about the nature of being creative. And, people- and this is a movie about... Being wouldn't creative. let him do things his way even right. though he knew he was right. right and he's a little rat yeah and he's got to sneak in under a hat into that kitchen yeah but uh, then he did it so th- he he pulled it off and yeah. it's uh one of the best movies of it's, it's a wonderful decade? movie i think yeah i was saying this to joey or a while uh, the other day i think it's his best movie i i think always the a coin toss between this and incredible the incredibles is like my favorite and I love it. Yeah. And I think it's probably The Incredibles is kind of a better, more perfect movie. I think this one holds up better because I watched The Incredibles <laughs> yeah. again recently. I haven't seen it in a little while. It, it, it wasn't quite, episode, yeah. quite as uh, yeah. impactful as yeah. I remember. I could see that being true. And also like The Incredibles is just like, it's just a home run. It's right. just like, whereas this movie has flaws and it has things that are weird and like it's a little sweaty like we right. talked about, but then it's also like, and it's it, reaching so far. It leaves you with things you're it thinking yeah. about. And it also feels masterful largely because he's attempting to do the impossible. Like we all agree that this premise is fucked and that Disney should have just swallowed their money and canned it, you know? Um, which makes it more impressive. And this is a perfect movie for me to like um, sort of amplify the idea that a perfect movie does not mean a movie without flaws. Because like, for example, almost every French accent in this movie is bad. Sure. Yet I think this movie's perfect. Right. It's somehow... No French actor is involved with this movie. Zero right. French actors. <laughs> I know this is unavoidable, but I hate movies that take place in a country. And they speak English. And everyone yeah. speaks in an in the accent, but doesn't speak right. the language. Right. I know that if Pixar made a movie entirely in French, that yeah. would not go over well, but it's it's annoying nonetheless. At least Linguini is American, so there's like half a justification for why they're speaking in English to him. Why is he called Linguini? Because his mom was one silly bitster. <laughs> I, I always hated that. 
I think that's just it's weird. It's that he's too much. Linguini. You don't need another food reference too. Like right. his, his name diff- does not need countries to be food. a food reference. Yeah. Um, but he does kind of look like a spaghetti. I mean, I guess that's looks, the reason. Right. He has total linguine vibes. Right. But that's the other thing. Brad Bird essentially, I think, drops the entire cast save for Ian Holm. I think that was the only person who was on the pink of a version. Oh sure. The legend I've always heard for who was originally playing Remy is Rob Schneider. Right. Uh, Rats. He comes in and at this point the movie's such a like mess and they don't have anyone breathing over their shoulder because they haven't picked a studio yet that he just starts throwing passes and he's like, I like the Pat Oswald uh, KFC bowl bit. Right. He heard the famous bowl bit. Yeah. Isn't that literally it? Right. A failure pile and a bowl work, of sadness. A uh, failure yeah. pile and a sadness bowl. Like yeah. I think he just thought that his passion for food yes. was somehow communicated. Right, I mean, I, I, he, I mean, he has the perfect voice. It's yeah. an incredible I mean, it's voice hard, performance. It's, it's, it's hard like, to imagine someone else doing it. I suppose yeah. at this point. But yeah. Then he yeah. gets Pedro Tool in one of his final performances. I mean, that's yeah, that's just a home a home run. And then who do you who do you game. cast as the human lead? Oh, of course, Lou Romano from Down the Hall. <laughs> right, like a, he's an animator. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like the cast of this movie is insane. Yeah, Janine, good. Janine Garofalo at at arguably her moment of least relevance. That's true. She's doing a thicker accent than the rest of them, which yes. is also odd. It's Her weird. accent is also bad. It's yes. bad. She's really going for it. It's really She's bad. She's good, and but yet the, the performance is crazy. Great. Right. Like, yeah, that's yeah. the whole thing about this movie where you're like, this premise makes no fucking sense, yet the movie's a masterpiece. The accents are all terrible, yet every performance is good. Like the movie is just somehow like pulling off these death defying almost ends. make it better yes. because it makes you really think about how much you still like it. And, and here's, talk about like, you know, this movie like working in spite of flaws. First 15 minutes of this movie are what every shitty screenwriter teacher would tell you not to do. The first, the opening is insane. I remember seeing it in theaters having, like, I'd fallen in love with Brad Bird after The mm-hmm. Incredibles, which, right. as, we, as we said, is like a yeah. such a carefully constructed movie that opens, I mean, God, its opening sequence is, is amazing. Like, right. It's is amazing, but bon it's something voyage. that is like so meticulously put together to give you all this information mm-hmm. and set the tone and all this stuff. This has the record scratch open, you know, that right. I'm wonder, you're wondering how I ended well, that, up. You know. that, <laughs> first, that really shouldn't be there. But yeah. then you have 15 minutes of all the, like the crazy rest. It's like yeah. insane. That's I, it's not a, me. That's me. I forgot how much like of the rat family there was in yeah. the beginning of the movie. There's a ton of the rat family. With, like There's Brian Dennehy is rat right. dad of Django. This old, Unratted. The character's name is Jingo. That's true. Yes, Molly, don't know me. If that's a yes, that's a Molly shaking her. This old woman, (laughs) and like I think the first sort of indicator that things are just going to happen in this movie that you have to go with is when the woman pulls out the shotgun and starts shooting the rats with it because that doesn't make any sense in any universe. And then also uh, when her (laughs) ceiling falls on her, I think that's the single most disturbing image in the entire movie is when when the chandelier falls and you see so many rats. That is so much more disturbing than seeing them in a kitchen. This is true. It is an alarming thought to think like they're in your walls. They have a whole city. (laughs) Rats in a kitchen in in that capacity is so unbelievable. Right. But rats falling from your ceiling somehow seems plausible in, yeah. a, in the worst way possible. Yeah. Do you know who voices the brother? Uh, yes. It's uh, Pete Sohn. Who another... directed The Good Dinosaur. Yes. But but also is a guy who took over The Good Dinosaur very late. Interesting. Okay. But another Pixar yes. guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like two of the five leads of this movie are Pixar guys who both nail it. Do you know who plays the butler? The butler? What do you do? John Ratzenberger? <laughs> Brad Bird apparently plays Anton Ego's butler. Oh, interesting. Yes. 
he's also the teaser trailer for this movie is all Brad Bird as uh, a waiter uh, describing the dish. It's oh, one of those. I don't remember that. This is when Pixar that? used to do teaser trailers that were all original animation. Yeah, no, that wasn't I remember because like there was that Wall-E teaser trailer that yes. was like. This is a special movie that we thought of, and uh, right. ASMR. Which I you know. was dying to see the Wally trailer because I love uh, silent comedies and robots. Right. So it was like my most anticipated movie of all time. Right. And was so disappointed when before the screening that trailer came up, and I was like, "It's a fucking like PowerPoint presentation of all the other movies they've made." Yeah. You get two seconds of Wally at the end, um, but yes, the movie starts with Gusto on the TV. Watching this black and white set explaining the legacy of Gusto. That's right, right. And then goes into like hyperdrive. Ding dong. God, we're just starting to talk about the right. plot. This is. Okay, let me get the door quickly. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. Okay, I'm coming. Hello? Uh, hello. Is this the uh, Audio Boom Studios? <laughs> your, your, that's where that's we what are. It says on the wall. Uh, right there. Uh, then I am correct in my assumption. That I had located the Audio Boom Studios. Well, hello, sir. Who are you? Well, perhaps you recognize me from the fact that I detected my location so well. Oh, I know who it or is. Or my double mustache. Uh, double mustache. Yes, two mustaches. My name is Hercule Perot, and I am probably <laughs> the greatest detective in the world. <laughs> probably because I don't want to sound boastful. Of course, of course. Hello, Hercule. Thank you. Welcome let, to our let studio. Let me twirl each of my mustaches. Has there been a crime? Are you here to solve the murder of Al Pacino, who's still in the corner there? <laughs> Let me sleep. All right, he's still alive. Roger, Roger. <laughs> it is too late for that, man. There's nothing I can do. Okay, well, what's up then? I am probably the greatest detective in the world, but sure. I am only the third best surgeon. Uh, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, what's, uh, what's up then? There is a mystery <laughs> that has been driving me crazy. What's the mystery? How can I shave both of my mustaches at an affordable price? <laughs> I have two mustaches, one on top of the other. Do you? I, I, Google image it. Google image it. <laughs> wow, you seem mad about this. I know you're in the room with me, but I'm telling you, this is very well vetted. Uh, uh, Just well, like my accent. Well, I have. I wasn't aware of your uh, mustache issue. It just looks like the one mustache to me. I would argue it's two, and I will argue this <laughs> until my dying day. And I'm sure Griffin would agree with me. Yeah, I agree. Listen. It's weird how you shoved him out of the way of the microphone. <laughs> Uh, look, I am the world's uh, probably the world's greatest detective, right, but I'm well, not good at standing up, so I had to take the chair. All right, listen. Well, let me just here, tell but, you about. But, but let me tell you my Club, conflict. Right. Let me tell you my conflict. Oh wow, first. your accent. Where to go, Hercule? <laughs> You're gonna need a, a, a let me tell you my glass. accent. <laughs> Is Janine Garofalo voicing this the, character? Let the man do his thing. Let okay? me tell you my conflict. <laughs> I've been taking a lot of pro bono cases, so it's I only a very have long bit. One dollar yeah. to spend. It's Thank not a you, bit. It's a very <laughs> sincere mystery. Murder on the Orient Express. And the crazy, <laughs> the crazy thing. Okay, two comedy points. We only points. have to do a minute, and it always takes three minutes All to right. set it I up. I don't know well, what you're talking about. I'm trying Hercule. to solve a mystery. Hercule, yeah. I, th- I thought just it was let- very good, by the way. I know you guys should talk about it. If you, if you'll let me, I thought it was a great job how you solved the murder. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I don't know if you noticed, but the murder was. On the Orient Express. Well, can I tell you, Dollar Shave Club, yes, that Dollar Shave Club delivers everything you need to look, feel, and smell your best. You name it. Shampoo, conditioner, body wash, toothpaste, hair gel, Dr. Carver's Shave Butter. What? And I get these through my Dollar Shave Club membership, which delivers these wonderful products to my house. Uh, Dr. Carver was a classmate of mine. He is probably the best shave butter maker in the world. Well... 
As you were learning surgery, he was learning shave butter making? Yes, of course. Well, Dollar Shave Club makes products for your hair, for your face, for your skin, for your shower. And they have me looking, feeling amazing, as you, I'm sure, have already detected. David, I understand uh, you have an re- episode to record, and I've already that taken up much true. time. Yes. <laughs> but can I ask you one thing in confidence? Mm-hmm. Ben, Davy Sims, Rom Newman, can you please all earmuff? Oh, yeah, guys, you sure? cover your ears. Okay. Dave, there is one mystery I've never been able to solve. It is my white whale, my Moby Dick. Uh-oh. I know what, I know what you're going to say. How can I stop my butt from being so stinky, David? Well, I have you know, a stinky butt, David. You know, they they include butt wipes in their packages too. Sacre bleu! I'm from Belgium, but I'm still appropriating that phrase. Fair enough. I mean, same language. Yes. At least in half the country. Sure. Uh, well, I use Dollar Shave Club for just about everything. Tintin! They, and they have gift memberships and e-cards if you want uh, to give it as a gift as well. Oh, fantastic. I will run to a computer right now and place an order without the promo code. All right, well, listen up. No, no, no. Just hang on one more second. What? Here's a great way to try a bunch of Dollar Shave Club's products. For just five bucks, you can get their Daily Essential Starter Set. It comes with Body Cleanser, One Wipe Charlie's, their Amazing Butt Wipes, uh, their Best Razor, the Six Blade Executive, and their world-famous shave butter. Zutala. And keep the blades coming for a few more bucks a month and add in shampoo and toothpaste or anything else you need for the bathroom. Check it all out at dollarshaveclub.com slash check. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash check. So I check to make sure that I've typed in dollarshaveclub.com? No, you go to dollarshaveclub.com slash check. Okay, well then... Off to the computer I go. All right. And also call that wow. man an ambulance. Can we take our hands off her? Hands? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. He, he's done muffs. talking about his butt. What, what about me? <laughs> Who's that? Detective Don. <laughs> no, no. You stay there for a while, Detective. Fine. Let me sleep. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's go back to talking about the movie. Yeah. God. It's always uh, crazy how... Uh, sweaty it feels in here after those. <laughs> it's like Giamatti in August. <laughs> Five comedy points. Yeah, five comedy points. So with a lot of voiceover, Remy very quickly explains his entire condition. He's a rat? No one around him appreciates food. They literally eat garbage, but he has a taste for the finer things. I wouldn't call that a condition. I would call that a gift. Mm -hmm. A privilege of refined palate. Sure. Um, What else? Uh, His dad only wants to use it. To help uh, sniff out poison. Right. Yep. He, which a is thing. a nice little detail. He's a poison sniffer. I identify with Remy because uh-huh. I know Griffin's rolling his eyes because I'm going to just talk no. about my lovely, yeah. my lovely gift. But I started cooking when I was very, very young. And I started doing like day-long stages at restaurants over the summer or on hiding weekends. Hiding under hats, yeah. And uh, hiding under hats, yes. And people give you a lot of shit. If you don't look like a chef, if you aren't uh, the age of a chef, if sure, you're right, a right. woman, you stuck out like a sore thumb. You get right. a lot of people don't believe that you can cook. Right. And what this movie illustrates so beautifully is that anyone, anyone can cook. Anyone can cook. But, you know, a great chef can come from anywhere. Exactly. Uh, but, right. you know, not everyone can be a great chef. But it, it, right. in all seriousness, it does do a really good job of depicting restaurant culture. Right. Uh, restaurant kitchens are a terrifying place. The Colette that, character is very crucial for all that. I yeah. Feel like. And it, yeah. I, at first I was like, oh, she's too upset. She's too angry mm. because a lot of female chefs feel like they need to put on this, you know, very tough exterior because it's such a hard environment and you can't let your guard down or else people won't believe that you have the skill set needed. And you need like the, the, the backbone, right? Exactly. Because it's such a yeah. like and, and, physically you know, the demanding job. And, uh, right. a tough place. But 
you know, she quickly just illustrates that, you know, it's hard for her and that she needs to, you know, really pull her weight and be extra, extra hardworking so that she can get the respect she deserves. Right. And, and, you, and you, yes. all, all of a sudden that character comes down. I mean, I think they easily could have made her just a, a villain in the movie. A hundred percent. And, and I, her character really, really helps the movie. Yes. You, you talking about the fact that you've grown to like this movie more the older you get. The other thing that I think has made you appreciate this movie more, and I'm not projecting her, you've told me this directly, is that you have, you know, had the opportunities in the last couple of years, but when you were still a teenager, to like work in restaurants for short periods of time or intern in kitchens, and you always hated the environment. Right of the kitchen and you always say like Ratatouille totally gets it right about sort of how ugly and competitive and judgmental it is. Right. And one summer my mom got me a like a really great opportunity to spend a day working in this French restaurant kitchen. And I was so excited because the food they made was amazing and it was just, you know, a big deal. I was really I was still really young and uh I was really excited and it was awful because they didn't believe that I could cook. The guys were disgusting. You were French, a little rat. French guys are Gross. I'm sorry, not to make a generalization, hey. but they are. Yeah. And uh, I felt really kind of defeated at the end of the day. Yeah. And I, so I think rewatching this, I really, really, really felt for everyone in the movie. Yeah. Well, so so Remy, unlike Brad Bird, is someone who just believes there's no chance he is ever going to be able to be what he wants to I mean, be. He is a rat. Right. So he's just issue. right. I I'm gonna enjoy food when I can. Sure. The great moment where they have the mushroom that gets electrocuted, and now he's got this sort of roasted Ooh, mushroom a, on a stick. Yeah, it's smoky, but not quite. What do you call this? Lightning-y. Lightning-y. I've never wanted a mushroom more. <laughs> uh, hey, look. I mean, mushrooms are going to have to do some real damage control in 2018, because 2017 was the year of Bad don't eat mushrooms. mushrooms. Beguiled, Phantom Thread. Was yeah. there another one? There was a third one I can't There's remember. three movies in which mushrooms were a fatal plot. I will say, Weaponized. The omelet mix and Phantom Phantom Thread looks so good. Oh, so much She's butter. She's making it. I was like, oh, I want that so badly. I mean, I know I know it's going to happen, but oof. Yeah. Oh. I also just like the end of Phantom Thread. Like the actual last shot is him being like, all right, get out of here because I'm going to be pooping for six hours. <laughs> Diarrhea. <laughs> you know, like, because like, I had remembered the last shot of the movie being like, uh, kiss me. Like, yes. Uh, and then, no, there's still like five more minutes of, you know, like the little fantasy she has of their future and you're not sure if it's real or not. Right. And then it's just him sitting on the toilet. <laughs> anyway. That's such a funny movie. Um, Joey, yes, so get us Brad's, back on track. But Brad Bird's way into this, um, whatever this might say, mm-hmm. I don't know if we want to get into whatever this might say yet, about Pixar, but his way into it, despite everything, despite the way that it uh, accurately depicts all the unpleasant things about the creative environment of the restaurant mm-hmm. is that he is obsessed with like the beauty of, of the creative process. Right. That he, is his that's thing. That's the whole thing and for him. He, that is also there at the same time. My favorite, I mean, there's a million great moments you could pick out of that, but one of my favorites and one of the early ones is when Remy is watching over the, uh, the kitchen when he yes. first gets there in the, uh, the window above and he's like just talking about what everyone what there everyone does, does. Like that's right. what all their roles are, and he keeps saying how everyone is important, right? Which is something that Bird would also strongly believe. And that's another thing I like because I actually have just spent time watching people cook in restaurant mm-hmm. kitchens, and that's a great experience because there is kind of beautiful orchestra right. environment where everyone is doing one thing. And also, I think a, a great thing about restaurant kitchens is that a lot of times. 
there are 10 people working on one dish. You know, you sure. have the saucier, you have someone who's just cutting vegetables, you have someone who's doing mise en place, you have someone who's cooking the meat, and it all kind of comes together. So even though the environment isn't necessarily a friendly one, everyone's working towards creating one thing. Sure. But it is right. very similar to filmmaking in that sense. Especially to animation, and, which and, is so many, like, all hands on deck. Uh, yeah, I also think the other real in for Brad Bird in this story is, and I think this is very telling that he kills Gusteau, you right. know, when he inherits it, is that Gusteau is Walt Disney. Is right. literally That's Walt Disney. Gusteau is so obviously the Disney... Or whatever. Well, I'm saying Gusto, know, the, Gusto character. the character is Walt right. Disney, yes. and Gusto's in its current condition is Disney when he was working on The Fox in, and the Hound. Disney in the 1980s, where they're just like, just slap Disney it on it and it'll sell. Matter. Who cares? And he's saying, like, don't you remember what this place used to be? Can right. we make great movies? And they're like, we want to make fucking corn fritters. Right. Money. And, uh, right. And uh, the, Skinner is Roy Disney or whoever was in charge. Uh, right. Eisner, any yeah, any number right. of revolving doors of, of people who just, Eisner. the brand's Eisner strong enough, put dog like. ears on Gusto yeah, and exactly. slap in a freezer. And that's another thing. I think that there were so many amazing chefs who uh, have this really hard situation where when they get really famous and their restaurants start to gain recognition, and they're approached with so many different deals. It's like, do you really want to put your face on a freezer sure. lasagna? And it's hard. I think money. some chefs, it's yeah. money, but it, it does tarnish the brand. And I also, I think a lot you know, of consumers, they're like, oh my God, blank chef made this. It must be amazing. And you realize that, you know, they have nothing to do with this. Their face is on it. It's uh, not yes. created by them. They're not uh, in the kitchen making this recipe. That's it should be noted that Blank Chef is the name of our bistro, which we're opening uh, <laughs> fall and what, 18. And what yeah. you just described is like Brad Bird's nightmare. And yes. It's a part of why it took him so long to make any movie, uh, or at least this is the way he mm -hmm. describes it. And who knows how reliable of a narrator he is of his own career. But he describes it as like, for years, I couldn't get anything made because people didn't want to do it the way that I believed it should be done and wouldn't yes. let me have total control. Right. And now he's been, of course, unjustified in that, in in that narrative. Movies. Right. right. And, and um, David and I were looking at Don Bluth's filmography yesterday, sure. and it's like that guy directed fucking 10 movies in like 11 years, and animated right. movies take four years. And some of them were good. And some of them feel like one of 12 <laughs> movies a guy directed. Right, yes. Right. Um, but Brad Bird didn't want to like license himself out. He's an exacting uh, artist. And I think what's very telling about his worldview is the fact that uh, Gusto's is still very successful. Gusto is very right. famous. It's doing fine. People are going. Now, it's critically reviled, right. but, you know, that doesn't stop the money from coming but in. But they right. sort of, you know, romantically say that Gusto died of, like, a broken heart after Anton Egon gave the bad review. Yes, and he lost the star. I and mean, also, it's the, the curse of having, like, the five stars right. and the three Michelin Ascending stars. Ascending from greatness. Like, all Descending you can do is lose them. Right, right. right. Yeah. But, but that, um, the fact is, at the moment he dies, he loses a star, but he's still set. He's a brand name. He's sure. got a TV right. show. He's got books. But what matters to him most is the idea that he's producing great work. And if he feels like he's dropped on that, that like That's destroys what him. him. Sure. Destroys him. And meanwhile, everyone else is like, we're Gustos. We're fine. Tourists are going to come. Communism here. is really what killed Walt Disney. That is true. It's the specter of communism. Yes. Well, it didn't kill him, it just froze him yeah. in a jar. Yeah. Um, uh, coldest war of all. <laughs> so, Remy, there's all the business at the beginning with the Rat family and Brian Dennehy, but 
It's, you know, it's sweaty. Whatever. It's a lot of voiceover, but I also can imagine that when Brad Bird got the script, he was like, Jesus Christ, the first hour of this movie's table setting. Sure, maybe like, there's he so much it, shit. But, yeah. I just need to inelegantly get all of this out as quickly as possible so we can get him in the kitchen. You yeah. could imagine, you still could imagine a version of it where none of that was there, though. Yeah. But he yeah. keeps it partly because I think he. I don't know. Well, I don't know. But like he gets into the beauty of certain sequences, certain ideas that he can do, such as the moment when the rats come down out Mm -hmm. of the house and then they all escape out of the house on like rafts in the rain with the grandmother shooting at them with a shotgun, which like when you describe what that right. sequence is, that's crazy. Insane. But I, it's so good. It's so fun. And he puts I think his he entire also, family in danger because he needs to find the right food to pair with the mushroom. It's also right. It's the beginning of that visual thing Ugh, he's doing so where the, the screen blacks out behind the rat as they eat and like the taste is represented yeah. as these sort of like it Turns into like weird a little cartoon with right. all these weird like colored shapes. And I think also... I'm not sure, but I do think Brad Bird likes, and maybe it, he relates to it in some way, the the idea of like, you know, art clashing with the family, mm-hmm. like whatever your family expects of you. Yes. And, um, you know, how, how difficult it can be maybe for your father or your brother or whatever to understand like creative passion. Sure. Which is a strange thing to explain to someone. Yes. Where it's like, I just want to cook food. And they're like, food is fine. I, this is a sandwich. It's food great. Food is fuel. Is the, well, the he says food he is fuel. Yeah. I mean, he's a rat. I mean, right. he has the right yeah, idea no. for now Shut up and eat your garbage. I mean, he's a very large rat. Can we just say that? Yeah. Brian Dennehy. Uh, it's a Dennehy-sized rat. Is it, it's like a Dennehy-sized <laughs> rat. In this but so he gets swept into Paris. He realizes he's in Paris. He realizes he's at Gusteau's. Right. And, and, well, let's and not close. skip through. There's yes. so many. Thank you. You enter a section I'm where sorry, there are I, so many, keep so me on many track. beautiful sequences and probably one of my favorite is I, the his him going through the walls of all the different buildings before oh, he realizes God. that he's in Paris and right. past all the, of these the different the couple fighting with the gun who then start, oh, yeah, making, who out. start making out I forgot about yeah, that and he goes through like a dinner so party French. and yes. like all, yes it's very French all of these different very French slightly yeah. stereotypical but whatever <laughs> yeah. images and um, that's when some also when some elegance starts getting introduced well, into sure. my narrative starts getting a little less sweaty when he washes up in the sewers and he's sort of crawling through the rafters and all this sort of stuff from the point that he gets separated from his family, voiceover is largely gone. Yes. Comes back at the very end. I suppose. Um, because now they set up the new device of Remy finds this Gusto cookbook and starts imagining Gusto talking to him. Yes. I love that the movie acknowledges very early on that this is Remy's manifestation right. of his it's internal not monologue. Gusto. That, it's that not he like him in the spirit the answers world. Right. Because the I have a son I am you. Yeah. is very funny. Right. He's like, I have a son. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, don't you know that? He's like, I don't know that. Figment of your like, imagination. But it's yeah. also, it's almost like, it's, I mean, not to overanalyze, it's almost yeah. like Brad Bird, like, saying, like, all right, so this is kind of a cheap, like, narrative yeah. device that I'm yeah. using sure. right now. Sorry. Like, right. I'm just trying to make this work. It's Which like I he's love. making fun of yeah. himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, fair. But they've also set up the really brilliant thing. He does it so fucking elegantly when they're in the kitchen and the old woman, before she shoots them, sees Remy. And he's yelling for his family to get out, and it cuts to her POV, and, and he's just, just going like squeaking. Beep. Yeah. So right. it's like, okay, we got two languages here, but uh, also yeah. his body language totally changes depending on whether he's talking to other rats. He tends to be more hind leggy versus when he's around humans, he moves more like a traditional rat. Right. Which is just like so fucking elegant. He's such a good director. Um. So Remy climbs up and realizes. He's in Paris, of all places. Yeah. What are the odds? And so close to Gusteau's. He's close to Gusteau. Crawls there, is looking through the ceiling. Sure. 
Yeah, Look at this gorgeous light. kitchen. Gorgeous Beautifully kitchen. designed kitchen. Beautiful. Is it an accurate kitchen, Romilly? Like geographically? I mean, that would be one of the nicer kitchens. Sure, sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, I guess it's a fancy, uh, famous old restaurant. But it, but, but it tracks. But I will the kitchen say, makes I mean, sense, right? The stove, that's like a cornu stove. That's a right. real stove. Right. Um, they thought about it. They, they did their research. It. It's, not I mean, just, it's not just, let's make a pretty kitchen. Let's make a kitchen we think is the French kitchen of our dreams. Right. Uh, it holds up. It's not a Nancy Myers movie, is what you're saying. It's hey, not. An don't do not go slamming Myers in front of Rom. I'm sorry. I, love I will Nancy say it's Myers. not a Nancy Myers movie. Yeah. Um, it is. But, it's factually not a Nancy yeah, Myers sure, movie. True. From a they logistical a lo- standpoint, <laughs> not a Nancy Myers movie. They did a lot of research, right? I mm-hmm. remember watching the documentary where Brad Bird was like, "Yeah, we had to do so much research at French gourmet uh, restaurants." And there's <laughs> like I. there's like mini DV footage of like Brad Bird like pointing at an underling, and the underling is like measuring the cobblestones in the streets yeah, of Paris. Right, right. And Brad I mean, Bird's like <laughs> sifting wine. Yeah. Brad Bird's got a gun that he's firing <laughs> in the air, and like I think Brad Bird also loved this concept that he brought which was like this can be like a physical like a yes like almost like a silent movie or something it can be a lot of physical humor because of the narrow kitchen like right like there's so much to play around with there right it sort of becomes a comedy of manners in a weird uh, way certainly in the first third is like when the linguine thing is happening so that's Remy observes the entrance of a young gangly man Mm -hmm. named linguine a Griffin Newman-esque figure uh, stretched out. Yeah, right, if right. If you put me on one of those griff. medieval torture racks, yes. you dyed my hair red. Yes. And he has shown up on the doorstep with a note from his mother, who was an old friend of Gusteau's, sure. asking them to hire him. Yes. And uh, Will Arnett as the uh, murderous chef. Great, great performance. Great She's performance. Good. The guy with the thumbs. Uh, as Horst. Yes. Uh, has already given him a job, which Skinner is very angry about, but, but only as boy. the garbage boy. So yeah. fine, whatever. But he starts looking at Ben that. likes Garbage Boy. I like that title. <laughs> you angling for a new title? No, 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 no. I just think it's funny. It is funny. Garbage Boy. I, I have to imagine you've had that nickname at least once in your life, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. He sees Linguini get a little tempted and try to throw some spices. It does surprise me that Linguini would want to throw spices in a soup. It's true. Linguini never really has a lot of creative aspirations. No, and you feel like he's the kind of guy who'd be like, yep, I guess I'm just a a guard boy. boy. But I also think, I mean, no, because there's a later section where the success kind of goes to his head. There is, there is. But that's more the success. Sure. You can see how if his dead mother said like, go to Paris, go to Gusteau's, they will hire you. Yeah. He spends that entire flight going, Oh, I'm going to get to Gusto's. They're going to train me to become a chef, and that's going to be my career. I was just surprised this sheepish, yes. sheepish guy is like, no, let me the, do this really bold move. It's yeah. a little bit of a no, story push. Not. Sorry. Wait, just, oh, wait. Joey's no, got an objection. The, he, sorry. Uh, the people are going to correct you, so I'm just going to okay. correct you right yes. now. He knocks the soup down, and he spills it Oh, that's oh, right. He's right. trying to recreate so he, it. He's throwing right. things in to try to fix his mistakes Thanks. so no one yes. will know. That's right. And I don't think that he ever has any aspirations to be No, well, he has the speech where he says, like, I'm the guy who would follow the recipe. Like, right. that's what I would do. That's not what little chef does. Like, but like, if I if it was just me, I would just do whatever's on the he card. He says that thing like, "You know how to cook, and right. I know how to look like a person, pure <laughs> <laughs> human." Right, right. that a is pure human. Yes. They're each bringing fifty percent to the table here. Right. Um. But so Remy cannot see him screwing up the soup. Right. right. He cannot like Brad Bird watching Yamagawa making this movie. Right. No, right. No, I don't know. But, yeah. but he no, cannot sure. bear it. Right. Um. And yes. And then he falls starts into getting the fancy kitchen. with the spices. Yeah. And they. Uh, Linguini catches him, spots him, 
They find the rat in the kitchen. Yeah, and so he's like, go kill. They chase uh, him out. Linguini is tasked with murdering the rat. And uh, head waiter, John Ratzenberger. Oh, yeah. Right. He's the head waiter? Okay. Yes. Has already started taking the soup out. Yes. The soup is a hit. And thus, Linguini, Linguini is claim, you know, acclaimed as like a, a budding chef. Right. Right? And, like, that's what happens. And he gets yeah. tasks, tasked with recreating the soup. Right. So he's uh, caught Remy by the sin. Okay. Right? Has him in the jar. They have this beautiful, entirely physical sort of exchange where he realizes that Remy, what are you, what are you grabbing? This? Okay. That Remy uh, made the soup. That he needs Remy, so he goes back into the kitchen with Remy to try to have him give him guidance on recreation from underneath the hat. Okay. And very quickly, accidentally, mm-hmm. right? Like, Remy is trying to silently, by biting him and stuff, direct him towards the right ingredients. And he sort of pulls the hair just as a way to pull his hands back. Right. And realizes that he can fucking puppeteer him like a marionette through different locks of his hair. This is the sweatiest part. Which we just have to go with sections it. of his limb. I cannot believe he pulls this off. Because, I, go on, Romilly. I do like the fact that it's a little trial and error. Yes. They start with the biting and it's like, let's find another solution. Makes no sense, but I'd still... And the, the movie it. does also argue that they spent a lot of time working the system out, right. which I, I know. Like. That's what I appreciate. But it's just like the fine motor skills required to be a chef. It's yes. not just like he needs to walk him around. Right, so right. It's like so intricate. Yes. We have to do with your hands and fingers and the chopping. The, but again, you just have to... The montage has to sell you. Yes. Right? Like the montage of them figuring right. every He's bit blindfolded of it out. and Remy is seeing it without his vision can I perfectly make an omelet right and eventually doesn't he makes the little omelet too the little is so omelet nice. is when this movie goes from like five to six stars out right. of five you know what I mean well, <laughs> when I he mean, cuts it with the key yeah. <laughs> yeah, the key the guys yeah. sorry I take it back I mean that almost made me cry more than Coco <sighs> it's beautiful oh, it's beautiful he doesn't get to eat it which is I know which is annoying that, that is what's devastating yeah, that's um, a, your least favorite thing in movies is when people make beautiful it. food and when don't eat it people make good food and they can't eat it yeah, devil wears it. Prada with this the steak that goes in the sink Yarlsberg and the cheese sandwich <laughs> but anyway as we already maybe we already said this but all of the food in this movie looks amazing and, we didn't uh, say it and it's very not, important the movie wouldn't work yes. if it didn't the food is incredible they must have worked so hard on it the uh, thing that impresses me the most is how good the bread looks because bread feels particularly difficult to render in CGI and make look organic. And the, that scene where they crunch it. Well, that's Colette very quickly is tasked with. Right. Colette's in charge of him, which is the shit job. Clearly, you, can tell. you have some good food instincts, but you're not trained. You're not properly trained. So Colette's going to put you through the ringer. And she gives that great monologue about everything she's had to fight through to be a chef. Right. Running down what everyone else has been through. Gun smuggler, murderer. Right. right? And, it's, and yet, I am the most feared woman in this kitchen. Do you know why that is? Because she's fucking tough as shit. She's tough. She's intense. Got to keep your arms like this. Is that a thing? Keeping your arms like that. That whole monologue she does where she's like, keep your arms tight next to your body and like, Yeah, I mean, there are them. always people... There are always people running around. And okay. You kind of have to stay compact. Sure. Yeah. The, the thing cuff with, thing. Yeah. The burns on the arm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, one of my biggest points of pride is like having burns from cooking, sure. which just seems ridiculous. But I think there is a thing with chefs where it's like, these are my battle scars. Like a chicken gave me this. Right. Yeah. 
But again, also for Bird, it's just about getting in every like element of like the, this the beautiful creative process, and this is the element of of learning of opening your ears right. and listening to the people who know what they're doing and and following yes, the the wise old men at Disney Studios. You know, <laughs> it's like you gotta you gotta learn from the greats. True, and she and. She finds in him something she maybe wouldn't necessarily find in all the men of voice. He's actually listening to her and following right. her. Now, Remy is listening to her because he wants to right. absorb Sorry, all this clear. information. Really, it's Remy who's listening. Right. Oh. Linguini is just crushing hard, crushing real, real hard on this nice lady because he's a bit. He's a bit of a goober, Linguini. Uh, he is a bit of a goober. No more than a bit. He's a Titanic fool. Yes. So now the other thing that's being set up concurrently uh-huh. is that Skinner, who is just selling out Gusto's name, yes. finds a letter, arrives in the mail, revealing that Linguini is the late Gusto's son. Right. Which and this I, is where you have the classic element of any kid's animated movie, the scene where the chef meets with his lawyer <laughs> and they discuss... Um, <laughs> They discuss uh, disputing the will. It's a long, wills, dry and- scene, too. That's why this movie is so good. So good. Yes, absolutely. I yeah. also like referring back to the Gusto thing where yeah. the, the, the ghost is a fantasy. It's yes. like... It's clear that the real Gusto was maybe more of a flawed guy. He has this illegitimate son <laughs> right. who he never, like, dealt with right. and, like, didn't talk to. Like... And I love that, that yeah. like the fantasy guy is like, yeah, I guess. I mean, maybe yeah. I was just shithead. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you know. Maybe I sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but right. Linguini is owed the restaurant, which let's be fair. Like he doesn't really deserve. No, he wouldn't know how to run it. And so much of this movie is about that where it's like just, you know, just because you've got the name or you've got the rep or maybe you're Roy Disney. Yeah. Maybe. Wow, I mean, Jesus, maybe Brad was really grinding some axes, like yeah. for some 1980s axes. But yeah, no, it's like uh, that That does not convey quality. Mm-hmm. And nor, you know, but like that's that's the great chef can come from anywhere, but not everyone is a great chef. It's like, about philosophy. one thing. Yeah. It's about doing the work. Yeah, which is somewhat Ayn Randian of him, but whatever. I love it. But it's also he wants the work to help others. Right, but yes, there's all the focus agreed. on the, I don't. I'm no Rand expert. There's all the expert on uh, focus on the the whole kitchen and all of the people. That's who true. Are elements there's there's of something it. collective. The fact that right. There's no. The idea is not that Remy like can do it by himself, especially not Remy because he's a rat. He needs and he needs all yes. of them. That is true. And he I think is it's also but a small rat. Trust the people who are capable of exceptionalism so that they can do what they are meant to do. Sure. And this is right. This is where people wonder things about Brad Bird. Because it's easy to take this right. down there, but it doesn't matter. We don't have to yes. you know, we don't have to dig too far into that. So Skinner today. has we goes on a, a quest. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that Tomorrowland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um Skinner goes on a quest to get a hair. Yeah, he with, wants a hair. Right. There's also that great bit where he grabs the hat off his head that I think is funny. Yes. Well, he's also convinced that Remy is talking to a rat, which also feels like... I think that's really funny. Yes. That's like a good bit. Um, hey. He figures out, yes, what the plot yes. of the movie is immediately. He, which like, I, he, I he figures out the plot of the movie and he's like, but no, I must be insane. <laughs> like, and then he does go insane. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's the movie, like, calling itself out on right, its for own being ridiculousness. So absurd, right, where, it's like, if he has... Fully cracked the plot of the film, everyone would think he's insane. <laughs> well, and there's that scene where he talks to the lawyer where he's like, he thinks, you know, he wants me to think that the rat's important, but the rat's not important. That's <laughs> yeah. a diversion, you know, which is a really funny scene. Yes. And Ian Holmes very, he's so a good, good. villain. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Good actor. Good actor. Good actor. Ash. 
Ash himself. Bilbo. Yes. Baggins. Of course. A bag end. Uh, yeah, I liked it. He and his long pipe, his wacky tabacky. Yeah, his obsession with the ring. He loves that ring. Power. Gotta get that ring. <laughs> hey, give me that ring. Let's keep on stealing Ackerman bits. Um, so proud of you. Yeah. Um, but I just love that. Like, rather than make him like a scary villain, sure. This is a movie that successfully makes its villain very funny without stopping him from being a threat. Uh, yes, you're he constantly could still fuck worried that he could fuck things up for our heroes. But he's but just a laughable person. Yeah, and just, <laughs> he is a bit yeah. of a laughable just, person. He's sad. And because what yeah. he's correct about is so ridiculous, it drives him insane. And watching him trying to prove it is like just good comedy. And he's sort of salieri esque as well because yes. like he knows from good food. It's like it's yeah. not like when he's eating uh, Remy's food that he thinks it's bad. That's my he favorite knows moment. It's the entire good. Movie. Yes, but and and he's like, well, and we'll get to it. Yeah. But you know, but that but he just can't be bothered he'd yes. rather be successful he'd rather take He's it easy the take the same easy mode road. as many of the, as the the cooks in his kitchen who yeah. like when just after the, when yeah. they when he gets uh kicked out and they start trying to make good food again like they they're happy with that too like yeah. they have that ability but right. before when he was just running it like a in a more commercial way they were like well it's fine too which right. is right. not to keep on parsing over this thing but i think that's also part of the bird thing where it's like some people are super happy just like doing whatever job they have in front of them and they'll do anything to the best of their abilities. But the what pe- they need is for Brad Bird to come in exactly. <laughs> and yell at them. <laughs> yes. And pull I, their hair so that they do what he wants. <laughs> yes. I, do, I hope not. Um, one hope not. One hopes not. One yeah. who knows what's going How on. How awful would it be if there was an LA Times expose specifically and exclusively about Brad Bird pulling Everyone's locks of hair? <laughs> what was your, was your, who knows what's going on inside Pixar? And, sure. But like, yes. who knows? But uh, the hope would be that it would be more uh, along the lines of just pushing people to do yes. their very best work. Right. And that there is good enough and good enough will get you by most Certainly of the time. Money. Yeah. But yeah. then there's that extra level. On like the making of documentaries on this and Incredibles on the uh, the Blu-rays, there are a lot of like the animators joking about all the sort of Brad Birdisms. Like he's not warm, he is terse, he is exacting. Yeah. But he's not like tyrannical. And they were like, he always does this fucking thing when he comes in to look at a scene where he's like, great, it's perfect, just one last thing. Right. And you hear just one last thing for six consecutive months. Jesus. You know, you think you've done the one thing that's gonna finally finish the scene and you're good to go, ready to move on to the next thing. And he's like, perfect one last thing there's always some extra spice he like wants to put in there but it's not like it's you know in vain no you certainly watch the movie and you're like this guy directed and wrote the shit out of this thing sure you know well remy becomes a hit remy becomes a big hit using linguini's body yes he also starts dating uh colette simply because remy couldn't like needs to distract her at some point right like that's how he gets them to make out yes because uh linguini hates that he's keeping the secret from colette who's sure. grown very oh, right. fond he's of. going to reveal that there's a rat in i his have hair. a rash <laughs> i have a rash and you have a rash right <laughs> yeah such a, a good rash. Line a rash. <laughs> uh remy pulls the hair to uh, uh push the kiss and there's the great moment where she has the pepper spray Yes. And then suddenly she goes like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Right. But then it She's go- got her motorcycle, too. She's, She's cool. badass. She's a badass. She rolls. She's cool. No, and I find their pairing 
plausible. Of course, yeah, that's the thing. It's you're not like, way. oh, please. No, he's a little yeah. needle boy for her to boss around. That's, that's that's right. And especially because you imagine this is someone who has just not allowed herself to have any sort of social life for 15 years. Right. You know, like if she's going to date someone, it's going to be in the kitchen. But and there the hasn't been a suitable boyfriend in the kitchen. Are yeah. so long. And, right. You know, you, they, everyone always says don't date a chef because they leave early in the morning. They come back late at night. They're, Adrian Gurney syndrome. Exactly. Yeah. So how is it that Skinner gets exposed? Because that's at the end of a whole long sequence with the will. Oh, well, he, keeps, one, gets, he gets him drunk. Yes. There's that tries to get him to Tries to get him to reveal what's up with the rat. And he does admit it, but in his drunk way where it's not incriminating, where he goes right. like, I have a little chef up right. here. Yeah, and it sounds yeah. like he's talking about his brain. Yes. Um, but then, you know, Remy finds the uh, the letter that uh, passes the restaurant. Yes, right. And uh, he's just snooping around with uh, ghost gusto. Right, and all the different gusto cardboard cutouts, yeah. which is fun. They let uh, Brad Garrett do his mad TV reel in the middle of the movie. Yeah, they do. Brad Garrett, very good. Very good. Uh, yes, yes, very good. Please do it. Uh, <laughs> that's my saying about Brad Garrett. Yeah, sure. Uh <laughs> But uh, Remy finds it and tries to get it out of there. Skinner finally sees Remy with his own eyes with the thing in his right. mouth. Here we got it. Smoking gun. This rat is smart. He's pulling the strings. Exciting chase through Paris, which is a thing I want to talk about briefly. Sure. The action sequences of this movie are so fucking good. They're tremendous. And they're fucking foot chases with rats. Yeah. But he, Brad Bird's always been very good with scale. We talked about with Iron Giant. He's so good at selling the size difference. Yeah. But usually, you know, from very different scales. Sure. Uh, this movie is so good at shifting to when we're at the human level, at the rat level, how one sees the other, the threats being perceived differently. That's a good point. And the camera moves like a rat. He's able to do these crazy kind of camera movements to like track with Remy and the rats down the streets of Paris. And you just have this fucking awesome thrilling chase that ends with Skinner literally soaking wet and exposed while Linguini has the will. The will. Yes, and then they just sort of not the only moment where they then just sort of skip over some stuff. He comes back and they're like, actually, it's yeah. Linguini's restaurant. And then he's just And gone. then we cut and to Linguini, Linguini runs the restaurant. They play yes. a charming right. song by Camille. There's a lovely yes. montage a where montage. everything goes great. Yes. And everyone's killing it. And, and people are coming back and the reviews are good all of a sudden. Yes. Even though Antonigo has not yet weighed in. No. Which is a big deal. I also like that Linguini is so sort of modest and lacking in ego. Uh, is he waitering at this point or not? No, that only happens no, later. No, That's no, no, right. This of course, is his of course, second of course, act downfall right. part where he gets too big for his purchase. He starts thinking right. like he's the genius because everyone's telling him that he's a genius right. and not acknowledging the fact that he's doing Zippo work other yeah. than appearing Linguini, human. simmer down. Simmer down now, Linguini. Simmer down, Linguini. Simmer he down. He's not al dente. No. No. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so he tosses away Remy, who then gets captured by um Yes, by Skinner. Skinner, who's got a vendetta right, at this right. point. Oh, I forgot um, about that. And then the night- yeah, they have their fight. They're always having these conversations out in the backyard. It's <laughs> <laughs> so very strange. And also the rats are being reintroduced at this point. Like yeah. Dennehy's back. The brother is back. You've got that great scene with the cheese and the strawberry where he's teaching yeah. him about like pallets. Well, isn't that the thing that he he catches uh, a meal but not Remy with the trap? No, he catches Remy with the trap. And then he sees a meal? And a meal helps free him. 
you know, they do the thing where they like all smash it. How so, do they free him? Yeah, from but first, well, but no, but going back to the first, they Joey's re- the one who's seen this movie 100 billion times. Yeah, they reappear. I just, yeah, I don't, you're very I don't good with the facts. I, I, I will admit that I uh, own this movie on Blu ray. Sure. Put it in today, was happy to watch it, uh-huh. would not play. Oh. Put it on three different devices. Oh, dear. It was like a pretty early Blu-ray. Yeah. And I had yeah. like from the and first. And those Pixar Blu-rays, they're like limited and they don't like. Yeah. And, and they also were putting like a lot of games and shit on there yeah, when God. no one knew what Blu-ray was right. as technology. Right. So I had to like get on the phone with Disney customer service to see <laughs> if there was like a firmware update. Uh-huh. And uh, they just are going to send me a new, hopefully a steel book. But they're going to send me a, the newer Ratatouille uh-huh. DVD that uh, apparently won't have a system incompatible. Because I put on a PlayStation 4, PlayStation 3, and a fucking Blu-ray player. Bad. No good, very bad, don't do it. Did you rent it online or something? I rented online, but b- after that delay, yeah. I uh, did not make it to the last half hour of the movie before I had to leave. Wow. Um, so I'm a little uh, foggy, having only seen the movie four months ago at this point. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah. I do want to say, uh, customer service at Disney... Uh, she said, uh, can I help you with anything else today? And I said, no. And she said, great. Uh, I just want to remind you that, of course, uh, Walt Disney's classic Lady and the Tramp is coming back out of the Disney vault uh, next month. So make sure to check that out and have a magical day. Right. And but you she, said, I'll take it. She dropped it like it was just a casual. That's like, so weird. Uh, of course, it should be noted that uh, Lady and the, the Tramp, vault Walt is Disney's opening. classic, the vault is open. I worked briefly as a... Um, as an usher at uh, Aladdin and I had many, I was very carefully controlled in the way that sort of I moved and in the lines that I said. And there were many occasions on which, but this is in person right. rather than over the phone. There were many occasions on which I would say something to people like when I was operating the elevator or whatever and someone would just look at me and shake their head and just be like, oh, Disney. You, you <laughs> like, know, well, I'm standing what, right here, what but would you I know have what you to mean. say? I, you know, it was a while ago and I can't remember, but I had like, like You've got dialogue. a friend like me in this elevator. <laughs> it was... <I> <laughs> Not quite that bad. We invite you to be our guest. <laughs> I don't know. That's a different movie. Yeah. It was not that bad, but it was all just like very carefully uh, yes. controlled. Like little little uh, things like, you know, I'll mind this, uh, mind this step here and like step in here. And on this level, this is for blah, blah, blah. But it was all like in a very all scripted, scripted yes. way. Yes. In Did a way they that, hit you on the finger pointing? Uh, you know, maybe? it's a finger pointing. So I don't know if you know this. It I used to work at the Disney store in Times Square. Yeah. So we're cousins, Joey. In addition yeah. to you and David being brothers, we're cousins through the Disney family now. <laughs> uh, so I had a similar uh, hellish period of criticisms on the circumference of my wave to entering shoppers not being large enough. Yeah. Hey, Griffin, we were watching from a few steps back, and what you were doing looked a little like, hi, welcome to Disney. And I'd love to see, hi, welcome to Disney. Now, do you hear the difference there? Yeah. A lot of that on a daily basis. It was great. It's the closest I've ever come to suicide. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was joking, but uh, not too close, but the closest. Sure. Um, anyway. A big thing that uh, they pushed. I just want to throw out this one last anecdote. Yeah. And I know they do this at the parks as well, is that you're not allowed to point if you want to give people directions because it's mm. too aggressive. You have to point with two fingers. <laughs> it wears the elevator right down that way, two fingers to the left. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, anyway, they... The rats return, and yeah, and this is where the movie comes back around to something that you would imagine it might well have just left out, mm-hmm. which is like the him getting his family to like sort of understand his right. creative yes. passion, right? Because they they're return. like that was a fun little phase, but come back with us, you're a fucking rat, Get right? And he's like, no, I'm gonna like come visit, but I'm gonna keep doing this thing that I'm doing. And then meanwhile, yes, he also shows his brother, tries to show his brother how f- um, flavor works. From Audio Boom, 
and the minds behind Mafia comes Covert, a brand new... <clears throat> God, that really hurts my voice. I was going to say, do you need a lozenge or something? <coughs> yeah, I think so. Can you read the rest of this? Well, there's this brand new podcast, and it's delving into the shadows to reveal the murky wor- world of international espionage and top-secret military operations from around the world. And it's from our friends at Audio Boom, from our friends at uh, sitting next to me, Ben Hosley. It's a Ben Hosley joint? Yeah, it's a it's a BHJ. So this isn't a podcast for people who are fans of Adam Sandler's producing partner and sometimes bit company actor, right? Alan Covert? No. In this, all the Happy Mass This is about, like, covert ops. It's like okay. you're you're uh, hearing about dangerous military operations and you're you're hearing about, you know, brought to the front line of history's greatest special forces missions. Right. Not about the limo driver best friend from the wedding. No, you Alan got Covert. research, uh, you got uh, expert analysis, eyewitness accounts, journalists talking about soldiers who right. survived these operations. So if I love Grandma's Boy, no, okay. the Alan Covert no, no. vehicle, this is not for me? If you, It's like, this is like definitely a show for history buffs. Mm-hmm. Um, we're gonna look into the assassination of Osama Bin Laden. Yep. Uh, we're gonna look into how... Uh, Israeli snipers foiled a serious plan to develop a nuclear bomb. It's all real stories. Got Black Hawk Down in there. Got Black Hawk Down in there. It's all real stories with experts or people who actually were on the ground and witnessed some of the events that we talk about in this show. And I'm hearing this this one's hosted by Jamie Rennell. Yeah. Can you confirm or deny? It's not an Alan Covert. Okay, cool. Well, apparently you can subscribe to Covert on Apple Podcasts and every other listening destination. Yeah, you know, hopefully Happy Madison will acquire it to uh, produce a dramatic adaptation. What every podcast is hoping for. Right. Starring Alan Covert. So, Anton Ego comes... Oh, we <laughs> skipped over Anton Ego's introduction, which is a great scene where yes. he... Uh, well, there's two introductions. His, Brad, Brad Bird his, is the butler. His introduction with his butler... Where he like fishes his review out of like a filing cabinet and is like, I I declared this restaurant like I yes, had the last over. word on this restaurant. Like, Someone else gave it a good review right. and he's like, I, I put a nail on that cough. What are you yeah. talking about? Gusto's is good again. He sits at his uh, typewriter, which looks like a skull, and his office looks like a coffin, yes. and it is fun. It's great. Though it suggests a more a meaner depiction of a critic than we're ultimately going to no, get. Thank God. I love yes. the depiction of the critic. No, I think it's great for like a heightened kind of portrayal of a food critic because they are kind of the worst. That's the thing. I won't say names, but a lot of food critics totally have that demeanor and yeah. attitude. Yes. I just think. But he's not. But they're not. You know, I mean, obviously we're going to get to it, but there is more. Is ultimately more, more to ego. There's this isn't like yes. Birdman level depiction of a critic, you <laughs> Thank know. God. Well, right, but I mean, it's like I think that even though it's very heightened, obviously mm-hmm. very exaggerated, and he's so evil looking, he's so spindly. Yeah, like he, Brad Bird is trying to wrestle with the power you wield. Like, yes. you know, and that's so much of his review that you uh, went on. Remember when you did like the longest intro ever to this obviously mm-hmm. long episode? Mm-hmm. Great idea that that was by Anytime. you. Anytime, you're um, welcome. You know, where it's like he knows how much power he wields, and yet he also knows that he isn't a creator. Right. And there is something so, like, very icky, and speaking as someone who writes reviews, uh, sometimes where you're like, this person is putting their lives on the line to make this movie. You know what I mean? Yes. That I'm watching. And I'm like, you know, bad, <laughs> <laughs> stupid. And it's not like my reviews will be that, you know, right. but like, sometimes, like, you worry worry about that imbalance where you're yes. like, it's so it's so naked, like to expose yourself 
artistically. Well, and there's the line he says where like most often even the worst piece of work will have more lasting value than what I write about it. Yeah. You know? Right. But what right, but what he doesn't do, what he avoids is that Antonigo is not a frustrated no. artist. Exactly, mm. which is the he easiest is, pitfall. Like he right. just wanted Cri- to be a chef himself. Criticism right. is his art form. Right. Yes. And he's obviously he's he's good at it. Yeah, he yes. cares about like, it. He's not some like he's a great writer. But he does have that thing where he's like, I spit the food out if I like right, doesn't he have that line? If I don't love it, I don't swallow right. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Can, can I just point out just to underline this movie comes out eleven years ago. At yeah. a sort of like uh, a big pendulum swing of anti-intellectualism, right? Sure, right. But also before a sort of new food culture had like taken over in mainstream society. Like All I right. feel like we're a lot more uh, health conscious than we were in 2007 when sure. everyone was just still going on like, look at supersize me. Americans are all fat, only eat fast food. And wow, now like we're, McDonald's. We're in here. Hey, too soon. Yeah. Uh, McDonald's is like <laughs> trying to him. like. Yeah. yeah. Oh, really? You forgot? Because literally every single person. All right. Carry um, on. Carry on. No, but you know, like McDonald's is like fucking revising its menu now to sure. be more artisanal because like kids don't want to eat food that doesn't seem like healthy because healthy is like, cool. I wonder how the movie would be different if it was made today. Yeah. Just in terms of the food. I'm going to throw out a crazy hot take. I think this movie actually helped perpetuate the rise of food culture in America because I think like you were a kid who already went in loving food and felt elevated in terms of like the idea of following food as an art form. I think the way he talks about food and the way it matters in this movie, I feel like a lot of kids your age really cite this movie. And you're also like the kids who are going to like eat better well, you that's know the thing. I mean, have con- more health conscious uh, meal choices and this stuff movie positions food in uh, such an art form right and yes. that it's hard to watch it and just have a complete disregard for what you eat and, and because both, you're yes. watching people for people you're right. watching rats and individuals for two hours yeah just waxing poetically about food and putting their whole life into one dish that ultimately is being consumed within a matter of minutes but it's such it's such an art. But the whole culture of like food porn on Instagram and like the pop up like gimmick novelty food events that like these places make that like just like takes over the culture and the amount of like hip food blogs and all this sort of stuff. I think that part of it is that like at least for millennial kids seeing this movie at a certain age kind of activated something to like I don't uh, view food the as food an art is form. so pretty in this movie. That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, you're disagreeing. Yes. It makes yeah. you hungry. It makes you hungry. Um, there's, a, I like the sweetbreads challenge too. I, I like he's given the most disgusting or not disgusting, but difficult to land assignment. Right. This is unrelated, but it's also very related. Uh, Griffin, the pickiest beige eater in the world, has a surprisingly adventurous taste in French food. Sure. Uh, when when overseas, his diet consists solely of. Uh, Steak tartare. Escargot. 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 Yeah. Sweetbreads. Sweetbreads. They're good. Sweetbread a la goose. He stuff. loves it. <laughs> he loves it. I'm love like, that yeah. pancreas. Like Griffin, yeah. if you love chopped up raw steak, then yeah. maybe you would love this. Nope. Absolutely so, not. Give me chicken fingers. Why are you such a baby? Not a baby. I'm a big boy. <laughs> I'm a big boy and I go poo-poo in the toilet. <laughs> and, and, and you make no e- You eat no eggs. I eat no I eggs. I didn't like that. 
Yeah. You'll eat veal stomach. I right, yeah. Eat those RX bars. <laughs> you do like those RX bars. What if we just... <laughs> Which have eggs in them. I know, but, that, but that's the whole selling point is I like that I don't have to see the eggs. I get the protein from the eggs without having to look at them. All right, so after the big fight, there's the second yeah. X. Well, you know, which again, this, this is where I'm saying I like The Incredibles more because The Incredibles... I mean, I like this more than The Incredibles. But yeah. The Incredibles doesn't have some of those tricks like this sort of like annoying at the end of the second act conflict, which is always just a little yeah. bit trying, yeah. you know, because you know they're all going to bounce back. But um, Or bounce baby. Uh, so, Joey, help me out here. So, yeah. This is where Linguini it. reveals his the truth. Uh, yeah, well, first he and Antonigo comes and Linguini can't make... These right. amazing recipe. They're all like yelling at him. They're well, all, no, like, Antonio where... has this thing where he's like, "I want some perspective." Like where he's a real oh, dick. God, <laughs> gotta so be good. honest. I mean, he's not nice. <laughs> he's a dick to the I... waiter, who is also depicted throughout the movie as an integral part of the restaurant. Uh-huh. That's true. Um, That's true. And much and like good at his job. Much like John Ratzenberg is an integral part of Pixar's success. Very true. Um, there's also he also crashes that press conference when it's sort of like uh, Remy uh, yes, Laguini's victory yes, yes, tour, yes, 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 and yes. that's when he comes in and is like. I guess I'll have to try this out. Right. right. But the perspective speech is fucking cool. And there's all the chefs are yelling at Linguini. They're like, we'll make it. Just tell us how you made it. Of course, he doesn't know. Right. Because um, the, the Remy is gone. Right. Right. And then, uh, and and then, then suddenly, who pops through that door? I can't remember the exact mechanics. Well, it's because Remy has been freed by his uh, rat brethren. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Remy comes back in yes, and they all are going to kill him. And then Linguini. Linguini's like, no, he's the truth. The right. chef. A, a swole rat really comes into play now. A character who I think only has one line of dialogue, but there's that one swole rat. He's a yes, big rat. He is swole. Uh, I think his name is Gitz. He's thick. Uh, he's thick. And I also <laughs> like that he has like a tag on his ear. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, he's a lab rat. Exactly. The idea yes. is that he was pumped through full of some stuff, yes. but it also makes him Stark. look like a, a one-earinged bodybuilder. He, he is voiced by a bodybuilder. Correct. By Jake Steinfeld. Jeffrey, Jake Steinfeld. Yeah, yeah. That's his name. Very important. Everyone's favorite character, Git. Um, and they all leave. They all leave in disgust. And even, yeah. even uh, Will Ferrell leaves with his thumb. Will Arnett. <laughs> Will Arnett. Will no, Ferrell. Not Will Ferrell. <laughs> Takes his about? thumb with no, him. No, even uh, Colette right. leaves. And even Colette um, leaves. But right. then she comes back. She thinks about anyone can she even thinks about slapping him. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Uh, but yeah, that's, you know. <laughs> Would you slap him, Romilly? I mean, oh, no. I might slap him. No, 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 no. Mais no. Absolument pas. And then Brian Dennehy has his sort of moment after that. Django. <laughs> he finally gets unchained. Yep. Where he's like, he realizes you know, Remy this matters. Up, right. And he realizes he doesn't understand this. Right. But we're here for you. Yeah, he this under- is why it's good to have the family. Yeah. Yes, this is why it it's important that he brings this back, is that it's important for them to all come in and be the kids community. And then this is just sort of like just a static storytelling like like the the slot machine is paying off at this point yeah, where now right. we have all these rats who you've somehow who go through learned the dishwasher to and it's cute so cute so cute they're Very all important. fluffy and then they all work the kitchen and Remy's like directing them like a traffic conductor because yeah. it needs like four of them have to be on each utensil right yeah uh, and it's kind of beautiful to watch like what you were saying it's like a symphony especially with this many creatures the fact that they're all working in unison uh, to get this dish. And then Colette. Colette comes back. Yeah. Because anyone can cook. 
I she realize. remembers the maxim. Right. Anyone and can she that's, probably that's, realizes it's not said, but she realizes the person she's been communicating with this whole time and teaching is yeah. the rat. Yeah, it's true. Do you think <laughs> yeah. she ever has a moment where she was like, Was I in love with a rat the whole time? <laughs> Have I been in like Crushing a relationship rat with a rat? Pretty hard. Um well isn't it she she goes off on her badass motorcycle and then uh she sees the anyone oh, yeah. can cook in the book window. Yeah, she's yeah, reminded right. of the original right. mission. Yes. Which I do love this idea that Gusto exists for everyone as right. this sort of like this guiding yeah. cold star. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, so she comes back in. Like, what What are we going to serve? Yeah. And Remy flips open the book and picks out ratatouille. ratatouille. And this and is she's also like, it's a peasant dish. Are you sure? Oh. This is where I'm like, yes. Romilly is yes. like yes. pumping her fist. <laughs> She's like got a number one foam finger and she's like... It's like Skinner playing Freebird. I always say I think the best food is when amazing chefs cook really simple home food. Right. Yeah, which is why I encourage you to cook macaroni and cheese, but go on. Right, right. Maybe I mean, that's exactly the same thing. Ignore your cheese brother. Right now you have no idea. Six cheeses. She did six uh, cheeses. I did do six good. cheeses. I mean, I really went all... Some people could say day. she was flying too close to the sun. Nah, she stuck that landing. And then, sorry, just a little sure. brief story is... Two days later, uh, Griffin wanted oh some God. leftover mac and cheese. I'm just going to toot my own horn for I was going to just nuke it. And so he put a huge scoop in a bowl right. and yeah, was, was about to put it in the microwave. And, and I, I was like, like, how like, many minutes? Ran Terrible. across the kitchen. I was like, no! <laughs> you can't do that. And I was like, just give me, give me five minutes. Right. And she goes and sits down and argues with another family member. And uh, I, got, I got a couple to choose from. <laughs> You're like, you. Yeah, all argumentative. It was, it was a tense Christmas, but this mac and cheese brought us together. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, Thanksgiving. Um, uh, but I, I made a brand new sauce. Oh. I mixed it in. She like redid it. It wasn't even like she threw it in a pan. Like it she like plussed it. And then I put it in a baking dish with sure. new toasted panko breadcrumbs. Mm-hmm. Some thyme. Mm-hmm. It was and like put ma- it under the broiler. So it was like even gooier and cheesier and crustier that, than the original. I think it was better than was, the original mac and cheese. It was like mac and cheese redux. Yeah. Right. You're describing what you're describing is like how beautiful the ratatouille looks That's, as they make it. It feels yes. like that, and, and watching right. it all exactly. come together like out of nowhere. I can feel the vegetables in my like melting in my mouth. This yes. is also the moment for me where Rom is burning up. Ram, what what's do you guys say? So one other reason why this movie is in- incredibly uh, important to me is that uh, well, no, it, I find it funny. My our mother cannot cook, yes. and that is why, in large part, I started cooking. Sure. But uh, a vacuum every time I say, oh, my mom can't cook, she gets really upset. She's Romley, that's not true. I can cook one thing. There's one thing she cooks really well. Ratatouille. Ah. Yeah. The new man's. The new man's. The makes the ratatouille. <laughs> the um, This is a dish that was designed by Thomas Keller. It's a peasant dish. Oh, but like you're saying the, this The design of the yes. ratatouille in this. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. It looks so The good. only thing that looks better than what they make, though, is what not to jump forward, is what we then see. In Ego's flashback, right. which uh, his mother's red too, which right. also, which yeah. looks completely different. Yeah. Right. Yes, which I like. Also looks great. But, but I, I like that like, he didn't make yeah. his mother's food. He Me just too. made the food that evokes it for yes. him. Yes. Now I don't like vegetables because I'm a philistine. I also think if you actually had ratatouille in person, you would hate it. I've had it once and I was fine with it. Okay. I ordered it because I was like, I should have it at this point. You know, love the movie. I should eat the dish. Um, but I watched this shot and I've never, I never feel hungrier than I do watching the reveal of the ratatouille when they take it out and peel the uh, wax paper oh. off of it. Oh. Uh, and then when he drizzles the sauce, Ooh. I was going to say though, this is the moment where this sequence starting with 
it's like a seven minute kind of suite that happens. Yep. Starting with Remy pointing to the dish in the cookbook, leading through all the preparation mm. in the kitchen. Giugino's score. Score is wonderful. Just fucking transcends the next level. I think it's the best work he's ever done. Mm. This is my favorite score that. of his. It's a great ag- score. I think I might agree with that. Ooh. I don't know though. It's tough. Is Incredibles not the best? His Incredibles score is which like, is also his first film score, which I is know, insane. insane. And also, the Incredibles score does similar heavy lifting at points, like yes. where the you know the, the dialogue will drop out, and it's all reliant on his music, sort of telling you like how everyone's feeling. You know. Yes, but I'll say this suite, and I'm gonna pull up what the track <laughs> listing is here. When I'm going in for like auditions or I have like a big show and I need to hype myself up. Oh, wow. This, this is, is usually what I listen to because it starts out kind of modest and I just think about Remy's inspiration and then the way it builds. And by the end of it, it's like this. Like as he's preparing the dish and then right when they're like rolling it out. And I love that Linguini is on roller skates. He has no pretensions anymore. He's got to serve everyone. So it's just about economy of movement and energy. The way it settles at the very end, I feel like so focused and amped up, but also not manic. Mm-hmm. And it's it's my hype up music. Cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the perfect encapsulation of his of what I perceive to be his message in this movie, which is every little piece being put together, just the same as in filmmaking. Like, yeah. What would that scene be without the piece, for instance, of Giacchino's great score? Romney's mm-hmm. on her phone. Uh, so I just kicked her chair. Uh yeah, it's it's yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. Makes and, me cry. And he serves the dish, and Makes this is the cry. moment that everyone cites in this movie is just like this transcendent it's piece transcendent. of storytelling. It's wonderful. Where ego skeptically clicks his pen, mm-hmm. forks a bite, and then gets transported back to the last time he was truly happy in his life. Last time he was truly comforted. Right. You know, like it's like he's all banged up from like playing rugby or something, whatever it is. He's you know, or like he looks all right dirty and sort of tired. His mother like sits him down and puts the stew in front of him. Right. Which is like Oh my god. If if that's that's the that's the power of art, baby. And he loves the food. He demands to give his compliment to the chef. And then this is when the narration kicks back in. It's I just this is where the movie is just so goosebumpy. It's incredible. Yeah. yeah. There's a moment cuz you know, I think one of the reasons why I didn't uh I underestimated and underrated this movie the first time. Yeah is coming off the run of Pixar movies before it, it's a lot less openly emotional. The other Pixar movies are far more sentimental, and I don't say that in a pejorative no, way. I, get I like sentimentality. Right. But Brad Bird's a lot more reserved with his emotions. Sure. And so there isn't that Pixar cry moment that when people make fun of Pixar movies, they always say, like, there's the Coco scene. There's yeah, the there's beginning boo. of Up. Yeah, there's Boo goodbye. at the door. Right, yeah, whatever right. it is. This movie doesn't have that. But, but there's underlying emotion throughout the whole agree. thing. Agreed. Yeah. And I'll say, even the first time I saw it, we we go to this section where Remy's explaining how they had to wait for everyone else to leave. Then Ego comes in. He sees the rat. He's kind of taken aback. Remy's narrating it. Right. You're just watching Ego's you watch, body like, language. Remy pull the hair. Right. Yeah. And he's like astonished by it. And then he just quietly leaves. Yeah. He asks some questions, but apart from that. Right. And the review comes out and we go to Ego's voiceover. Right. And it goes through all the characters we've seen over the course of the movie as the, the review's being read. Right. And at the last line where he says nothing less than, in my opinion, the finest chef. In France, yeah. and I'm getting goosebumps just reciting that. There's a shot of Remy sitting. I literally have goosebumps right now, uh, sitting on a rooftop watching the the sunrise in Paris, and that feeling of this guy who cares so much about this art right. and believed it was incapable that he could ever accomplish something great, right. being recognized as the best in his country, uh. while just having this moment where. It's anonymous. No one knows who he is. Right. But right. he just sits on a rooftop, looks at the most beautiful city in the world, <laughs> and knows that he fucking did it. 
it 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 like kind of you know it takes a, a lot of body blows for me to cry during a movie. Like I'm one who can cry, but it needs to be a sustained like ringer of emotions. Sure. But every time I see that moment, I choke. I think it is does make people cry in the same way as the Coco moment or the yeah. up scene. It's just in a way that is not the same, in a way that is almost confusing to them because what's making them cry is a review. Yes. A good review. But also, <laughs> it's all building up to that and it kind of just hits you at the end. Yes. But that's crazy in a way because Antonio is only introduced like half an hour right. before. Like right. the construction right. of this movie. <laughs> and yet by that point you are engaged in it enough yeah. that his words move you. Was this... Like, Peter yeah. O'Toole's final film performance? Uh, well, Venus, I believe, was 06, right? right? This comes out 07. Uh, so I'm going to look at his film It's also so bossed that Brad Bird took over a movie 18 months before it came out and was like, you know who I'm going to get? Peter O'Toole to play the chef, uh, the chief antagonist slash critic in a film that was previously called Rats and starred <laughs> Rob Schneider. He was in Stardust the same year. Okay. And that uh, was his last? No, he has a movie coming out this year called Diamond Cartel. Weird. Uh, it's I I can't even begin. He plays someone called Tugboat. I I don't understand what's going on. Armando Sante and Michael Madsen are in it. When He's wearing a beanie. I don't know. He died years ago. Yeah. Tom <laughs> Sizemore. No, maybe not Tom Sizemore. Anyway, we can't get into this because anyway, it's. I don't late. think that's ever coming out. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's apparently coming out on Netflix this year. So weird. Get excited. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, they outline at the end how, uh, you know, the restaurant got shut down, unsurprisingly. We forgot to mention the uh, health inspector, yep. who they forget is coming and shows up perfectly. There's, like, the rule in improv where they say, like, the time you should do a callback is the moment after the audience has forgotten about yeah. it. Yeah. So that they'll be blown yes. away that you remembered the joke. Right. And it's like they set up the health inspector thing as a dangling threat. It keeps on getting pushed off. And then they don't bring it up for just long enough know, that when he the walks through the door, it's great. It's such, it's it's a such fucking, good physical. Again, like yes. in this sort of farce, this building farce. Right. And then right. they all just kidnap him, tie him <laughs> up, throw him in the meat freezer. Oh, boy. It's so good. But anyway, yes, of course, despite all of that. Right. Of course, just because it's of, you know. They can't push the logic that far. The restaurant has to shut down. Right. And Antonigo has to lose, lose his, his job. job. He loses his credibility. He was writing about a rat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which uh, is crazy. But then he becomes they, an investor in a restaurant called. This is where I'm just like, for some reason, so devastated. He like yeah. got to open his own restaurant. It's called, it's called Ratatouille. Ratatouille. He's got a little spoon. And a beautiful song by Camille plays. <laughs> Who's Camille, man? She's a lovely French songstress. <laughs> Second time Griffin has mentioned Camille. Singing about fucking rats. I'm chefs. all about Camille. You know what other song Camille did? What? Uh, the Jean-Philippe de, de Paris, the SNL sketch where they all do the dance. Very, oh, very I remember good. Camille. I was big on Camille. That's a fucking seven, Camille yes. song. Our mom got really well, into Camille. We're all done. Yes. And then we, beautiful end credits as always. Uh, very nice guys, end credits. 2D because Brad Bird was like, I want to bring it back. I want to get these Pixar animators who haven't been able to do hand-drawn animation in years yeah. since college. Get them doing a beautiful 2D end credit sequence. Um, uh, Let's play the box office game. Okay. Now, people thought this movie was going to bomb. They thought this was going to be the one to break the Pixar streak. Right. America hates 
cuisine, high cuisine. <laughs> they hate it. Right? Came out in the middle of the summer. It was the first one without Disney oversight. June 29th, 2007. And like many Pixar movies, it was kind of poorly marketed. The trailers weren't that good. And the trailers I, are kind of yes. bad. The poster with all the knives thrown at him is odd, like, because that's not really something that happens in the movie that much. And like the trailer and the poster, they all did like the like phonetic ratatouille, ratatouille underneath right. it. Right. Yeah, they were like way too worried about people like, won't be able to people say not the being title. able to pronounce the yeah. title. Even though Ben liked the title, just didn't get that it was about a rat. I mean, it just invoked that dish. Right. And right. then yes. I saw the movie for the second time, yeah. and I'm like, oh, yeah. 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 a rat. Tatooie. Right. The movie made $206 million at the box really office, solid. did very well. And I feel like it's one of the Pixar movies that has aged the best. I feel like its legacy yes. has grown at a larger rate. I was talking to some of my friends saying I was going to do this podcast and everyone was like, oh, I have to watch that movie again. People People are it. always, oh yeah, Ratatouille. I mean, it's the last great Pixar movie in my opinion. I disagree strongly, but we'll because talk about like that. Because you like Wally. Wally's a masterpiece. Right. Wally's very, very good. Uh, I also think Coco is great. Coco is great. And I think uh, Toy Story 3 is very good with transcendent moments. No, uh, Toy Story 3 I have no interest in, but Inside Out is the other one that I would, oh, yes. I would speak, speak up for. But yeah. I don't think any of them hit this no. kind of transcendent I Wally art. Wally comes, I would agree with Wally comes closest. Yeah. Um, um, but but that's yes, not long this was the this beginning movie, of the end, you know, in the sense that once they had been able to replace Jan Pinkova and they'd done that twice... They become very it comfortable think you can get away with that. to yeah. keep replacing directors. And they also now don't start letting their best short directors sure. graduate to features. Right. And it becomes a problem where when and they green like too many sequels. I mean, we, you know, once Disney takes over, they sort of throw that down as the mandate. And the other thing is that the new first time filmmakers they're letting make a feature are only getting to do sequels to other people's right. movies. Right. So no one's really establishing a new, clear voice. Yeah. Pete Sohn, voice of Emil, brother of Remy, he gets her onto Good Dinosaur after the dude who wrote the screenplay, Bob Peterson, had worked on it for two years, been directing it, got thrown off, and for a year that movie didn't have a director. Okay. And Pixar was like, we're just letting them make And they entirely canceled another movie. Newt. 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 What yes. with Newt? Which was uh, with Gary Wright's? Yes, Gary, Gary Rydstrom. Who, again, he made a short. Yeah. The short was great. One of the best sound uh, designers in the history of cinema. Uh, and they were like, we'll give you a movie. And then at a certain point, they were just like, never mind. Yeah. Wasn't it going to be good? Or was it going to be about Newt's or something? Uh, yes. The thing with Newt was that the plot was very similar to Rio, the oh, Blue Sky Bird movie. And they canceled it because they knew they were going to come out three years after Rio. I mean, but who fucking cares about Rio? Exactly, I agree with you. All we right, so Ratatouille is number one. Can you tell me it's opening weekend number? I think it was 51? 47. Okay. I, I remember that was like far beyond expectations. Yes, because number two is another new movie, a sequel in an action franchise. That people thought was going to be number people, one. People I think thought was going to beat it. It's called Live Free or Die Hard. The first PG-13 in this franchise. As I like to call it, Live Free or Go Fuck Yourself. Have you seen Live Free or Die Hard? Sure. Is that the, wait, which one It's the one that? with Justin Long and Mary Elizabeth Winston. Yeah. It's the computer thriller. Yeah. It's fine. Timothy Oliphant, he like shuts down all the traffic lights with do, a computer. Do you know what was called overseas? I don't know. Die Hard 4.0. Is that the one where when he Great. says you became a motherfucker, it's like you can't like hear it? Yes. yes. Like, he, and he like fires a gun on mother himself or whatever. Right. Yeah. You should see Die Hard 1 around. 
Yeah, it's a good movie. You would actually like Die Hard 1. Romilly looks so disinterested at that suggestion. Do you know what movie I recommended to Rom yesterday because of a gift that you threw onto my uh, timeline? Or, or a quote you threw onto my timeline? Shoot, shoot. Rom would fucking love Talented Mr. Ripley, right? Oh, yeah. Great movie. Hey, Griffin never responds to my text, but then occasionally he'll send me eight paragraphs of the- by, about why a movie would be my favorite movie. We're in, I respond to text. We're like, Griffin, in the same boat. <laughs> what am I going to do? Help me. I'm freaking out. Texting Griffin <laughs> is just a 50-50 shot. That's really what it is. But it's then like- sometimes I'll say something that I'm like, okay, there's no way he's going to respond. And it's like, Eight paragraphs yep. of like, oh my god, and then this, and then this. And you Gotta keep you on this. your toes. Yeah, yeah, you definitely do. Number three at the box office. It's a sequel, a, a truly poorly thought out sequel to a comedy hit, not starring the star of that comedy, starring one of the like other actors in the comedy, they, who they elevate to. Oh, Evan Almighty. Evan Almighty. I loved that movie. You loved that That's movie. I mean, you were nine years old, yeah. Yeah. right? I mean, it's uh, he's he's got so he's got to build an eight arc. Years old. Uh, eight years old. Sorry, uh, got to build an arc. Weirdly, one of the most expensive movies ever made. In- incredibly expensive. A comedy that cost two hundred million dollars. Movie that threw Tom Sh- Tom Shadek. Yeah, they threw him into like a like existential crisis, existential crisis right. Right. after yes. it flopped, and yes. also a movie that doesn't exist. This Very is the first much. time anyone's discussed it in it half a decade. Really doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, number four is a dis- no, no, no. It's oh, it's actually a very underrated horror movie that I really like. That you and I would always misquote the trailer to each other. In two thousand seven, it is an original or a remake. It's it's a it's an original movie. It's based on a book or a short story or something. You know, based and, based on a famous author's work. Wait, is this oh, room? I know what it is. It's fourteen oh eight. Fourteen oh eight. Yes. And what's yeah. the thing well, from like, the trailer? Joey and I re- misremembered the trailer where it's like at the beginning. Samuel Jackson's like, that you looks- don't want it. <laughs> you don't want to go in 1408. He's in a Tom Shadek <laughs> And then at the end, well, if I just say it, yes. it'll be over yeah, faster. Okay, okay. And the end of the trailer, Samuel Jackson yes, shows yes. up and he's like, I told you not to go in there. <laughs> That's still what I remember it as being. It's not quite the line. He yeah. does show up though and say like, why did you My do My memory this? is that like he appears and there's like a sandstorm happening <laughs> yes. around him and he's like, I told you. That movie's also weirdly successful. Uh, yeah, good movie. That's the second highest grossing Stephen King movie of all time, I think. Okay. Behind it. Last one. Sequel to a superhero movie. Sequel to a superhero movie in the year 2007 is called Spider-Man 3. Nope. What? That's ah. number 16 at the box office. Wow. It, uh, it, that is the number one movie of that year. Sure. Uh, ben Hates Me. The year is 2007. <laughs> it's a sequel to a superhero movie. Is a Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer? That's right. What a piece of poo-poo. Yep. More like is a cloud. Yep. Uh-oh. Look out for that cloud. Uh-oh. Spaghetti. The <laughs> villain. What's his Galactus, name? Galactus. But he's back. just a cloud. Oh, well, Dr. Doom's in it, too. Yeah, yeah, but he's more of a... He's a supporting role. He gets the surfboard at a certain point. He's more of a nuisance than a villain. (laughs) Yeah, right. He's more of just a depressing instance. Not this guy again. Yeah. He's a villain in the same way that, like, Mr. Roper in Three's Company is a villain. Right. Perfect. Great joke. Everyone loves it. We're done with that joke. Can I do something that's not a merchandise spotlight, but I feel like is worth talking about quickly? Yeah. Uh, This was a big period because the home video market was huge. Uh, this was sort of the peak of the mockbuster, as they called it. 
when like the asylum would make all these movies that were like transmorphers that would right, be on yeah, yeah, blockbuster yeah. shelves and then people would be like, is that Transformers? Right. When video stores still okay, physically go, existed. Carry on, yes. There was a weird Brazilian company that did these for all the Pixar movies. Okay. And it was like the little cars and Ant's story. Like they sure. did it, they did it, it for sounds all. Good. Right. And this starts the run of a couple of years where they don't know how to fucking rip off Pixar. <laughs> because they're hard whole, to rip off like up. <laughs> well, well, their whole game was that they would look at the trailer and they would animate the whole movie in four months okay. and get on shelves before the okay. thing came out. So right. when the premise is talking cars, they were like, we fucking got this. Yeah, right. And with this, they called it ratatouing, which <laughs> means nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they just made it about a world solely inhabited by rats. <laughs> I mean, sure. And some of them work in a restaurant. Here it is. I'm looking at it. Um, I, I believe. Yeah, there's a chef involved. <laughs> Looks good. Ratatouille. <laughs> Beautiful animation. Yes. Incredible. We'll tweet that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. We got Yeah, and you got to tweet this out. I think uh, the up one is called like Up in the Sky, a balloon adventure. <laughs> and all they knew was like old man and little boy in balloons. And it becomes like a competitive like air racing film. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah, they have Kiara the Brave. Yes. They have Tappy Toes. That's right. a happy feat. Yep. <laughs> uh, go check them out. I think Ratatouille is available in full on uh, YouTube. We'll do a bonus episode on Ratatouille. Um, <laughs> we will do that over into my dead body. Right yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, so this is our episode on Ratatouille. I think it was a great episode. I do too. I actually do. We united the siblings. Hashtag unite the two. I think, I mean, I think it was great. Yeah. And, and now we just got to get James on at some point. Yeah, get Jamesy. Jamesy, Jamesy Newman. What's his favorite movie? I already asked him, and he was struggling to think of a good one. Yeah, I'll tell you one he threw out as a possibility. Uh, the uh, supernatural Marlon Wayne's basketball comedy, The Sixth Man. Never seen it. Never heard of it. Oh, really? And we might have to do that one. Okay, great. Um, who directed that one? Was that uh, uh, Cassavetes or who, who was on that one? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I was going to track this one <laughs> it's, uh, it's Wiseman's only scripted film. The one time Frederick Wiseman. Sure, right. Yeah, he decided uh, to dip his toe into comedy. Yeah. Uh, Romley Newman, uh, thank, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, any final thoughts on Ratatouille, its role in, in uh, food culture? I mean, I just think it, it helps people honestly think more about where their food comes from. Yeah. I mean, I'm not just mm. saying in terms of, oh, is my food cooked by a rat? Are there rats <laughs> close to my food? Sure. But Your food is created food by is, a person. Food is Creative food's a form of self-expression. Are you calling someone right now? Someone's calling me. Oh, okay. Uh, food's a form of self-expression. Food is a lot about uh, memories and mm. childhood mm-hmm. and yes. all of that. And I, I mean, I identify That's with why that. I like chicken finger. Greatly. I mean, no, that is why he likes chicken yeah, fingers. Yeah, sure. Because they um, came with a free toy. And there are certain foods that if I tried them today, I might not love them. Okay. But when I try them, Takes you back. It takes me back to another time. You told me recently that you get nostalgic for Domino's, which you objectively hate. Romley despises fast food and hates that I eat it. But when I would babysit Romley and we'd have like movie nights and stuff, I would order Domino's. The thing is, Griffin could eat whatever he wanted because my mom was like, if we don't give this kid what he wants, he's not going to eat and he's going to die. That was what Griffin was. I I was like uh, uh, Michael Fassbender in Hunger. (laughs) (laughs) I would just sit at the table for days not eating vegetables. God, what an asshole you must have been. I was a piece of shit. But me and James weren't allowed to eat junk food. Right. Uh, they were like, "Look, we we lost it with that one." And but you, and, you two you and were James not both had hel- healthy appetites. Like you and B- James both from the get go sure, liked sure, food. Sure, sure. Exactly. And my mom would make like Griffin food or yeah. have Griffin snacks. And then there was 
what everyone else ate. Everyone else in my family loves food. I'm right. the one, I'm the anti-Remy of my family. And right. so there was this kind of weird, I didn't want to eat yeah. bad food, but mm-hmm. there was also. Yeah, there's a connection there. No, but no, no, no. But my mom was like, don't eat bad food. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, it was like we would have Oreos, but they'd be organic. Numinos. 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 They're pretty good. All of that. Also, it's so Griffin that. He lives in New York City, mm-hmm. and he's ordering Domino's It's the pizza. fucking but most insane shit like in the world. It's such an offensive <laughs> It's thing. crazy it's that you would so do that. bonkers. When he would babysit, I would look forward to the meal so much. We'd mm-hmm. get a pizza, right. cinnamon sticks with the fucking icing. Yeah. <gasps> Cheesy bread. Cheesy bread. <laughs> good. Like, good. And <laughs> I honestly have such fond memories that if I yeah, ate that today, fair. I wouldn't even think, this sucks. I would think- You'd have like, an Anton Ego moment. Yeah. So that is my ratatouille. So if you, yeah. if I ever become a food critic, make me Domino's. Uh, and I'll say, you know, I, I, not to keep on harping on this thing, but I remember when this movie came out, like hearing a lot of people talk about how much their kids loved ratatouille. Like people sure. with young children being like, my kid wants to cook now because of fucking Remy, because of the yeah. little chef. He's a good little chef. I, I do think it inspired, I mean, cause you, you're like part of like, there are a wave of like, uh, young food bloggers and chefs who were like all around your age and that didn't seem like a thing that would be but that's happening. the thing is when I started cooking a large part of why I started blogging was because no one my age was talking about food and I feel like I right. had no one to look up to sure uh, and now it's crazy there are teen food bloggers left and right, right. It's there teens. Are teen and food Chop junior Chop and junior I mean the teen chef market right. is huge there's right. enough uh, of a uh, base of teen chefs to have a spinoff of every single exactly. major and I, food no, of course. show. There's just, a little which version is, which ultimately is great because it's raising a, a generation of people who actually care about how where food, food comes from and, and like how it's it. made and, and, and the art of food. Uh, but when this movie came out, that wasn't in existence. Yes. Uh, Joey, any final thoughts? On this film and how More or less the where same, it places in the Bradford, it's, it's significant for me for all the same reasons. Except you're not except a chef. about no, except about the artistic and storytelling process yes. rather than right. the cooking part. But it's all essentially the same thing, obviously, which is sort of the point. But um, yeah, it's, it's an inspiring for me. movie about creative passion that you can't explain. And Bird is an inspiring figure to yes. me for that reason. Uh, I you know yeah, yeah uh, you idolize him. I I, I was a the kind of a kid who sat in my living room. Well, I don't remember how young watching I was exactly. Watching special features. Watching the Incredibles commentary yes. over and over. You I've did. seen it many times. It's weird how many times you've seen it. Dave I've seen it at least once. Dave mentioned our Iron Giant episode that you have the Mondo limited edition Iron Giant vinyl release, right? Yeah. Yes. Do you have the Ratatouille one that just came out? Uh, they what? just released the Ratatouille soundtrack on vinyl. Uh, with like beautiful art mm. and they made the discs look like Ratatouille. Oh, no, I know what you're talking about. And yes, I have a, a, a different, a, it's the same art that yeah. is what, is, yeah, what, um, yeah. is what my mom got me in a framed version. Yes. Right, yeah, for you my have birthday. the framed picture. Yes, yes, okay. yes. Because yes. they released it both as right, the vinyls as what you're talking print, about yes. and then it was also a like a poster that you could yeah. buy. And okay. um, my friend who went to the uh, like Alamo, Texas yeah. uh, thing. MondoCon or Mondo Con, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bought it for me. Right, brought it back. It. Yeah. My mom framed it for my birthday. It's nice. My, that's it's a very nice wall. Remy's sweeping yeah. and he's, uh, no, he's, he's I mean, Remy's the, stirring yeah. and uh, Linguini is sweeping. Yeah. I just like that the discs look like It's very They evocative. put like color in the vinyl so that yeah. it looks like. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. We're done. Okay. Ben wants to kill us. Thank you all for listening. Please yep. remember to rate, review, subscribe. He wants to cook us. 
<laughs> Cook us in a stew. Thanks to Ange for good of her social media. Joey C. Sims on Twitter. Yes. Romley yeah. Newman on Twitter. What's the better one to use? Oh, yes. Yeah, I only have one Twitter, but I never tweet. Okay. Oh, but the one Instagram. time I tweet. That's why you want people to follow you on Instagram. The time right? I did tweet recently was because Griffin bought me a Ratatouille mug at uh, Disney World. Thank you. It was and very minimalist and classy. Cool. I use it, and there's a picture of me holding it. Yeah. Wow. It's got a little little chef on it. comes with a little spoon. But you can follow Food by Romley on Instagram. Okay, that's the thing to follow. Uh, it's all food. And uh, maybe I'll make Ratatouille and post it. Hey, now. Yes. Um, or mac and cheese. Yes. I will uh, also I will also make ratatouille. We'll do a ratatouille off. Okay. Uh, and that will be our bonus episode. One of seven bonus episodes promised in this episode. Thank you to Pat Reynolds and Joe Bowen for our work. Thank you to Liam Montgomery for our theme song. Go to blankies.reddit.com for some real nerdy shit. Seriously. And as always... <laughs>